Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Movie Change It Up podcast. Today, we're going to do the second part of our top 20 movies of the 2010s. If you watched last week's episode, you know exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing our top 10. If you haven't watched last week's last week's episode, I recommend uh, you go back, watch that episode, or listen to that episode if you listen via podcast app, and then come back and watch or listen to this week's episode. And I think we're just going to get right into it uh, with our top 10s. And so I'm going to start with my top 10. Uh and I'm Joe Fricky, by the way. I didn't say that. Uh, my top 10 movie at, coming in at the 10 spot from 2018 is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I believe that was Bobby's 12 and uh, Johnny's 11. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's what we ended last week on, yeah. and it was um, skipping down because we yeah. both had that pretty late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just a – it's the best Spider-Man movie It's that we've ever had. It's – Definitely the, probably the best animated movie to come out in the last 10 years. Arguably, maybe yeah. against Toy Story 3. If someone if someone preferred Toy Story 3, I couldn't really argue against them on that. But I think Spider-Man 3, or not Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse changed the way animated movies are made. Like the way the original Toy Story changed the way animated movies are made. Even Klaus that came out December of 2019, I watched the behind-the-scenes Thing on that and they said they were like midway through production and they saw spider-verse and they like their animated style was influenced by that and they took references from that and tried to make it look more like spider-verse because they like the way it looks so much but yeah it's just a good story that covers uh miles morales who's like a newer marvel superhero who takes on the mantle of peter park or spider-man after peter parker's death and i just think it's a really good story about a uh young kid growing up yeah i i think too because we've obviously seen the peter parker story for so long it was cool to include him but have a new origin story in it um you you know you just have kind of things that if you're big spider-man comic fans you know miles morales but the general public isn't as uh familiar with his character so i like that this one really introduced it and i think spider-man spider-man and batman are my two favorite comic book uh characters and I think this is the only movie that I've ever seen that portrays Spider-Man well on screen when he is swinging and he's doing and he's fighting. Like, it's very hard to portray that with, like, CG and make it look real. Like, if you go back to the original Raimi trilogy, none of those effects look better than, like, if you were playing, like, a PlayStation game now or, like, a PlayStation game 10 years ago. Like, it just looks very cartoony, but this one, just because of the style, you can act, you have the freedom to make Spider-Man look like he does in the comic books and move like uh, the way that you want him to. So I always like that. And and like you said, this is already the most one of the most influential superhero films ever made, and it just came out, you know, what a couple years ago. Because um, of the yeah, the effects that it had on now animated movies and the effects it had of introducing the Spider-Verse, like the multiverse stuff is already, you're seeing influence with the next Spider-Man movie that they've announced bringing everyone back and stuff. So it looks like they're going to go in a similar um, direction. So that's what, and it's just such an enjoyable film. I think it's my, it's my 11, but I think it's the, my favorite animated film of all time, not just of the decade. I think wow. as far as animated films go, this is my favorite one. It's just from start to finish, it's enjoyable. I love the soundtrack. Every song on the soundtrack, I I, I love. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, that's really all there is to, to say about that one. Uh, Bobby, you had it at 12, so I know you feel similar. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I love this movie. Um, and you, I mean, I, I don't want to retread a lot of what you guys said because it's I'm very similar to me. It is definitely the best Spider-Man movie, even though I do really still like the first two Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man movies way more than I know you do, Johnny. But um, Into the Spider-Verse is just, other than just being heartfelt um, and portraying Spider-Man, both Miles Morales and Peter Parker, well and also differently um, for Peter Parker, it's also just hilarious. It's so funny. Uh, Nicholas Cage, Spider-Man Noir is amazing. I love his one-liners in that. Um, I mean, Spider-Pig with John Mulaney is fantastic. Um, it's just, overall, it tells a story that I don't think that most studios would have been brave enough to make. Um, yeah. And they let them do it uh, because it was an animated form, and it's. I think it's changing the game. I do too. So, Tristan, you have the Spider-Verse poster behind you on the wall. I see it there, but you don't have this movie in your in your top 20, I'm interested to just hear your your thoughts on it. Because I know you like this movie, but I don't think you feel as strongly as us, obviously. Yeah, I mean, everything you guys say, I agree with. I think it's a really, really well-made animated movie. I think the style is incredible. I think it really looks like a comic book come to life. And just the visual form is just so gorgeous. I think it does animation like I've never seen before. And I also want to give it credit for just going as hard as it did. Because we've seen so many animated superhero movies that are just kind of like, direct to DVD kind of like shovel where movies where they're just shoveling out like, Oh, here's another animated Avengers kind of show. And they're going to give it out to the kids. And this one could have easily just been that, but they decided to let this be like the launch of Bob's Morales. And I think as a launch for that character, I think it's really good. Personally, this is probably at like a 22, 23. It was one of the ones I rewatched because it was right at the bottom of the list. And I wanted to give it the full do of a rewatch before I decided not to put it in there. And for me, the biggest flaws are just that the pacing, I think, is a little hard to... It's probably the biggest flaw of the movie. It goes really well for the first kind of 20, 30 minutes when you're really, you're really getting to know Miles. And I think that was the goal of this movie ultimately was to launch Miles as a character because they're probably going to be using him a lot in other content. They had the PS5 launch with Miles Morales. They are probably going to want to do him once Sony gets the character back. So I think this was very much intended to make Miles Morales interesting to people. So I said, I think in that way it worked really well, but I think in terms of showing the alternate version of the characters, I really wanted to see more with them. I wanted to just get some time in their world a little bit more. If I was making this myself, I'd probably do the reverse, you know, have Miles going out to other worlds rather than having people come to his, because I think seeing the appeal of a movie like this is seeing the different takes on what the core Spider-Man is. I think it kind of does that with the characters, but it doesn't spend enough time with them. It doesn't spend enough time in their world for me to really fully feel its theme of anybody can be Spider-Man. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it introduces those. And obviously I think those things are going to be explored in the sequels to this, because this is going to be its own series of movies. Now they're already making, you know, the second one I like in the first of a series to kind of set up the world of the main character. So I like that in this one, it's them coming to him. And then in the future ones, I do think they can improve on it by, you know, doing what you said. But I think for a first of the franchise to really introduce Miles Morales and tell a story that no one really knows. I know people have seen Spider-Man, but not many people know Miles Morales. Everyone knows Peter Parker. So I, I think they did a good job with that. And then I think I disagree with the pacing because what they do with the soundtrack, I think, um, helps the pacing because you have like 
it go from these crazy action moments to a slower scene, but it transitions well with the music. Like as soon as the Juice World song um, hits, which is Hide, um, which R.I.P. Juice World, but that song hits like I think right after his uncle dies and stuff like that. And it's like the big character moment. That song fits really well. And then the rest of the movie, that's when he starts really embracing being Spider-Man and gets his own, you know, suit, which looks amazing. Uh, I love the Miles Morales design suit in the, uh, in the uh, movie. So I, I think the soundtrack helps with the, with the pacing problems, because I think if you just didn't have as strong of like music to kind of, guide you into those moments. And if you listen to the lyrics, everything fits really well. Um, and I think that's the benefit of movies like Black Panther and Spider-Verse kind of revolutionary, like in terms of soundtracks, because all these songs are being made for the film and the lyrics mm-hmm. are made for the scenes that they're in. And it's not just here, we're going to pull like these four songs that we like and kind of just throw them in there and they don't really fit. So I, I think that stuff helps. And that stuff I even picked up and noticed the more and more I rewatched it. So I, I just think from start to finish, that's why I, I have it high. It was tough not to put it in my top 10, um, but I had it at 11, and uh, we're all in that general area interested. Even, like, yeah, 21, 22, like, of the entire decade, that's still... Yeah, it's hard when there's just so, so many crazy. good movies in a decade. To There's one that you love, you just can't make, doesn't make the list, you know? It's hard to make that cut. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's probably more than enough to say about Spider... Uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So we'll get into my top 10 with a film that when I read the description of it, um, when I heard people praising it, I was like, there's a 0% chance that I'm going to be interested in this movie. It sounds like a super snobby, boring, like Pride and Prejudice type movie that I'm just not going to be into. And that is Portrait of a Lady on Fire because um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a French film. It's a period piece about um, basically this woman is set up to uh, have like an arranged marriage and they can't get a portrait painted of her. So they bring someone in and it's it's a it's a romance, um, but it's also like I felt it just very the tone and the way it's directed just pulls you in and you're sucked in the whole time. Um, I also started talking about it before asking, is that anyone is that in? The only person's top ten this might be in is Tristan's. Is this in your top ten? It did five? not make my top ten, but I, I, I'm excited to talk a little bit about it when I hear your thoughts. I didn't think so because we mentioned last week that you had um, – we probably only had one movie that might match that's like a foreign film. But this one blew me away, and I think it's so high because every other movie on my list, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, going into that, I could tell you, yeah, I'm going to love it. It's about Spider-Man. It's a new story about Miles Morales. I love the trailer. This is the only one on my list that I'm like – Going into it, I was like, I'm just watching this to see what all the hype is about. I had no expectations going in, and I was blown away. Like, from the very beginning of the film, I just I thought the acting is so good. The characters really pull you in. Um, it, it's, it takes a lot for foreign films to kind of translate that, like, with uh, acting, and you can't understand what they're saying, but I think this film does uh, a really, really good job of that. Um, and it's just uh, – it's not – used like my typical type of movie, but I think it's uh, it's just wildly entertaining, which I would not have expected just from uh, going into it and stuff. But the other thing, this trailer played all the time. Like when we went to see the uh, 
festival for all the short films that were nominated for Oscars, this trailer played. And I was like, okay, that trailer is awesome. I don't know how they can make a movie like this look so exciting. And, and then you watch it and you understand it. So I think if you watch the trailer and if you're into it, um, I give it a shot because that's kind of the, they do a good job nailing the tone um, in the trailer for the film. Uh, yeah, definitely really like this one a lot. Uh, I didn't make my list because I watched it fairly recently and I just felt like I watched it so I don't want to have any recency bias when I rank these movies. So if I just watch it for the first time in the last few months, I didn't, I made it not in contention for this list, but I think with time, with more rewatching, it's going to definitely get up into that list. I really liked how it explored its characters. I, I think romantic movies, a lot of times turn me off because their characters are all very one note and they're all kind of not very relatable. You know, I think of something like the Adam Sandler rom-com type movies that are all, all especially early two thousands, those kind of, uh, romance movies don't really connect, but these characters felt real. This relationship felt real, and I definitely highly recommend it. It's in it's in a foreign language, so obviously that has like a little bit of a barrier. But I think if you are an adult who can read, you can just read the subtitles and watch the movie, and you like it. Yeah, I think this one is a tough one sometimes for if you're not into foreign films, this might be a tough one to kind of like pull you in and watch because unlike a lot of like the South Korean films or the action films that we'll kind of talk about those you don't really need to pay a ton of attention to the dialogue and you can kind of watch what's going on. But this is a very good dialogue heavy um, foreign film and the dialogue is great and the acting is, is phenomenal and I really love all the characters. So I would have liked, like they, um, I, I'd say that the last Oscars are the first ones of the decade they actually got right with best picture, but I would have liked to see a little more Oscar love for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, for sure. It would have been awesome if like the top two movies of the year, because the, I think the top two movies of the year were both foreign films. I would have liked to see those be like the two contending for, you know, best picture. So I think we'll have that eventually. I think it's transitioning towards that. Um, you know, the way the Oscars are going and the way just audiences are going and getting younger and exploring more things. You're more with all the streaming services, like 10 years ago, it was harder to find a lot of these movies. Now you can just go on Hulu, which this movie is on and just, you know, watch it. So I think just the accessibility is, is going towards that direction. And there will be a lot more love for foreign films in the, in the awards uh, later, which I think would be great. Um, including probably everything that this director does afterwards, because she's awesome. Yeah. Can I wait for her career? Whatever she does next is something that I'll be day one seeing, assuming that the theaters are not completely shuttered for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Bobby and uh, Joe, I don't think either of you have seen this. I don't know if you have much to say on it, but I recommend it to both of you. I think you both uh, enjoy it. No, I haven't seen it. I, I want to check it out. I'm going to check it out. But uh, we actually have a live comment. that uh, Sam Park. Don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> I don't know who you people are, but I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So Thanks, Sam. Somebody, yeah. you know, thanks for clicking on our video, I guess. I don't know how you found us. but Yeah, thanks. For Do you, any of you know him? I have no yeah. idea. Check us yeah. out. See see uh, what we have in the rest of this list. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, but um, it's definitely one that you've been praising a lot and, and talking about. So if I have a chance to watch it, I'll I'll give it a shot. I think um, I don't know what if uh, Jen watched a lot of foreign films, but I know she loves to read. So I think this would be a good one for you to watch. She would really love this one. I mean, just saying. Yeah. I mean, I, right. some, people are, some people are turned off by kind of the. Um, the reading aspect of it and they, they get distracted by it or whatever. But I yeah. think if you, if you really like books, it's an easier transition to like get into it. So yeah, well, I'll see if she's interested. Is it streaming anywhere? 
Um, Hulu. Hulu. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Recommend. All right, Tristan. We're getting into All right. the top 10. My number 10, we talked about it for a brief second earlier, but it's Black Panther. Uh, great, great movie. I think this is kind of a peak of what I would want from the MCU at this point. Like, he has connective tissue to other movies. He was in Civil War. He came up in Infinity War later on. But this is very much its own single standalone story. You don't have to watch anything before or after it to get everything this is trying to say. And I really also like the villain. Everyone's talked about Killmonger. But I think not just because he's a complex villain, and that's kind of rare for the MCU, but I think he brings in themes that the MCU typically really, really avoids touching. Like when we see Civil War, or and they're trying to talk about how we're going to divide the characters and make them fight each other. And it doesn't quite feel like they fully devote to those stakes. Or you see something like Winter Soldier and they're trying to comment on surveillance and on government power, but they're not quite going all the way there. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s still kind of the good guy. Captain America's ultimately the right guy the whole time. I think this is the first time in the MCU when we've seen the good guy's morals actually be legitimately questioned a little bit. And of course, ultimately, T'Challa is the hero is going to do the right thing. But throughout the movie, we're left to question if he's doing the right thing or not. And that's something that you don't see in the MCU. You're always seeing the heroes do the right thing. And even when they make mistakes, it ultimately comes back to their favor. So just for that, I really gave a big boost to Black Panther. I think it, you, CGI and the final fight aside, I think it's a really fun thrill ride. And you get complex themes, complex characters, something that I think the MCU should really aspire towards. Especially now that they're launching a lot of more characters for their lineup. Yeah, this is probably, I think this is my second favorite um, MCU film. Obviously, we don't need to get into our Ragnarok opinions and discussions. That's my favorite. This one is uh, number two. And yeah, I agree with you. Like the the last act, I can kind of throw out all of the action scenes. None of that really appeals to me and none of it looks very cool. But Black Panther himself, like the other CGI in the movie, like get it, you know, the costume coming on him and stuff like that, I think is really cool. You kind of have to have these action set pieces for the MCU films. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know how many other superhero movies there are that the villains, like, words really change the morals of the, the hero. Like, obviously, Killmonger's a bad dude. He's killing people and stuff. But I love the idea of his character, like, the motivations behind his actions. You understand it because... You know, he's sitting there and it's like, I grew up poor. You, I've seen all this oppression around me. Look at what's happening around the world. And you're sitting here and you could do things for your people, but instead you're hiding it from us. Like, I like that his words and his motivation change the way T'Challa views, um, you know, his actions and everything. So now obviously they want to, you know, at the end, you know, it sets up like, okay, we're going to start doing things and showing our technology to people and really showing that, you know, we can do good for the world and we don't have to stay hidden um, away. I really like that. Uh, just thematically, I think this is the strongest MCU film, one of the strongest superhero films, for sure, in terms of that. And like I mentioned, the soundtrack is amazing. Um, best, like, workout soundtrack ever. Yeah, for me personally, I attach a lot more to themes and ideas movies rather than the action that, like, executes the themes, you know? So when I see bad action, it just kind of, like, my eyes glaze over and I think, whatever, that's just one part of the movie that didn't work. And I attached more to like what does this action mean what are these two characters coming against each other trying to say rather than how bad is this 2002 spider-man 3 cgi fight at the end of this movie yeah but yeah definitely i mean everyone's probably seen black panther but i know a lot of people who kind of put it off who are 
not into superhero movies and think it's just going to be like all the other ones. And it's worth a shot, you know, check it out on Disney plus, check it out. If you can find it online for a couple bucks, I think it's definitely worth giving it a shot, even if you're not into the genre at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's one of my top MCU movies. I haven't done a ranking in a little while and I'm sure things have changed since the last time I've done it. But um, this is one of those that just felt different in the theater than than most MCU movies up until that third act. And it does kind of fall into some tropes. Um, and then like falling down, you know, and that whole train sequence is not fantastic, but um, amazing villain. Uh, Black Panthers, they created a very good, uh, they've created a fantastic world um, which is not easy to do. Sometimes it just feels, you know, a little um, either like something else, like a retread or just doesn't quite hit. And I think they nailed Wakanda um, and that became a cultural ph- phenomenon for a reason. Um, so, you know, it, there's not too much more to say than what you guys have said, but yeah, it's really, really good movie. It's somewhere on my list. I don't know where it would fall, but it would, it would definitely, you know, probably be within my top 30 somewhere in there maybe top 40 i'm not sure yeah i really liked it it's you know it's a top probably three or four mcu movie for me it was uh you know it was really good i really like wakanda it felt like almost like a star wars type city or something in that it felt lived in it felt like a city that actually like existed and it wasn't just like some cgi like weirdness that didn't really work and like like bobby said the cultural phenomenon like the whole wakanda forever thing wasn't even originally part of the movie. It started as something that, like, they did on set that they integrated into the movie, and yeah, it's just executed really well, minus the whole CGI fight at the end. But I think you can tell from Chadwick Boseman's passing how much this movie really influenced the culture too, because everyone kind of spoke out in support of him and his family and of Brian Coogler and everybody involved in this movie after that happened. And I think in that moment you can tell that this went beyond like the movie nerd culture that we're a part of. It went beyond like the comic book nerd culture that we're kind of a part of. And it really captured like the grand conversation in a way that a lot of movies don't. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good discussion. Mm -hmm. Black Panther kicks ass. That is my second favorite MCU film. It seems so low. Anytime I look at movies and it's like, Oh, that's my number 63 in my top 100 of the decade, but definitely made my, my list. And, um, I just I love every movie in my top 100, so it seems low, but it's uh, I think it's a fair ranking. Um, yeah, Bobby, we're on to yours. Uh, what okay. is your uh, 10? I feel like this is an interesting transition, um, <laughs> but my number 10 is The Wolf of Wall Street uh, that's from 2013. A, that's a little, we'll talk about that later. Is that all right? That's a top three every time for me, Joe. Every time, <laughs> yeah. If we ever have a pick that's in somebody else's top three, we're gonna, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. punch it back up so i saved the discussion for the end of the episode and and if you saw part one uh this is not uncommon for me and joe (laughs) yeah apparently not um also yeah the wolf of wall street that's my number seven so we'll get to that obviously when i get there but that's on my list as well wow um we'll get to that (laughs) yeah so joe uh number nine what do you got for us um my number nine is uh from 2014 john wick Ooh, wow great I loved it on Wick, but I did not expect it in a top top ten. Yeah, I, I love it. It's you know, I understand Johnny's love for you know, the foreign action films and I feel like John Wick definitely borrows from the foreign action films. It feels like an American made 
like South or yeah, South Korean action film. If you like it told me, oh, this is based on a South Korean action movie from like 2005, I'd believe it. I just feel like for me with, you know, I, I like foreign films, but when it's in English, it's easier for me to connect to it. And, you know, the hit Keanu Reeves, you know, I've loved him since Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Matrix, The Replacements, just point break his entire career. So it just elevates it more, hardball. more into my, yeah, hardball puts it more. It's just a really. Uh, I saw that movie when I was way too young. Not to have seen that movie. That was scarring. Yeah. That was scarring. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a really, you know, just enough story, uh, to tell you what you need to know with action set pieces of him moving through the Russian mob, just taking people out because they murdered his or yeah, they uh, stole his car and murdered his dog. It's just, it's just all any all John Wick needs to kick some ass. But yeah, it's just a guy going back into his old life after being married. And uh, just kind of, it's a really interesting world too with the coins of it's, you know, you're not really sure how the coins work of how much value they have. But, you know, you have a coin, you give it to a guy, he does you a favor. I just, yeah, I, just I like love the world and I like the story that they set up and the action. And I, I love how little um, kind of exposition and uh you know explanation they give to the world of john wick that keeps it interesting for me because the more you explain it and tell us what's going on um the less interesting it is they just stick to all right this is you know you can kind of get the gist of what's going on it's a cool world they have these coins that do something and you know uh and they stick to the action and i i do love this whole franchise it's really all three movies i i really like um yeah. one and three in particular but uh but yeah not in my top 20 but really enjoyable franchise they kind of revitalized Keanu Reeves career so uh, yeah I'm all for it and I think the sequels kind of elevate the movie for me like if two and three had come out and they were bad then I don't think I put John Wick in my top 20 but two and three came out and they were just as good as the first one so I feel like it kind of pushes it just keeps pushing it up because it kind of is the franchise as a whole but yeah this this one was a hard one for me to rank because I felt like all three of them, I've enjoyed the same amount. Um, I actually think two might be the best um, of the three because that has um, the best action, I think, in it. But I just think with the John Wick movies, I love the world they established, like you guys were talking about. I love that they just say, you're thrown into this world and you, we're not going to really explain anything to you. You're going to kind of have your own thoughts and theories about it. Um, I think that was very creative. I just think the only reason that this one um, isn't like as high for me is because like Joe said, like I'm a big um, fan of uh, especially like South Korean um, action films, revenge films. And I just think some of those I've seen do it better. Um, this maybe has a better universe that it sets up than a lot of those, but especially by John Wick three, it's extremely noticeable that they slow everyone else down to kind of fight with Keanu. And that takes me out of it sometimes. Um, and just his longer extended fight scenes when he's fighting people with guns and stuff, I don't think you really notice it. Um, but when he's doing hand to hand combat, especially by the third one, which obviously isn't the one we're discussing right now, but it's just a little noticeable sometimes in the fight scenes. And that takes me out of it. But other than that, I, I think these movies kick ass and I, I really like them, um, and I'm excited for They could make a million John Wick movies, and I'll see them forever, even if Keanu Reeves is 75 years old and he's still hip-tossing dudes. 
um, that are clearly like punching right into his arms that are already in a spot. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it's good choreography because they have to work around that and some of his limitations and they, they do it well. It's not like watching an old James Bond movie when, you know, all the James Bond actors like Rushmore are, you know, 60 years old. It's nothing like that, but it's just a little noticeable when you surround Keanu with people that are really, really fast and stuff. I think that's the only thing, but that's my only downside of these. I do really enjoy them. I just think I've seen, I've seen better because yeah. I prefer the, uh, the genre. All yeah, right. I think it's a definitely a good movie. I wouldn't quite put it in my top 20, but I do think it's, it's just fucking awesome to watch. Like there's so much style in every scene and every shot between the music and between the camera work. It just feels like so fluid and so exciting. You're never, even in the slower scenes, you're never like off edge. You know, you're always kind of feeling like something's going to come the next second. Uh, it's just so much fun to watch. I think we get, we've accepted Keanu Reeves as an all-star so easily that we kind of forget how much he wasn't before this movie came out. Like he was for a second, but then this movie took him from like internet meme that people saw on the subway to like a fucking all-star like instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And that gives it so much credit in my mind. I, like I said before, I don't typically like a lot of action in my movies, but this is shot with so much style that, like all of that goes out the window. It's just fun to sit back and watch this movie. You know, I got a 4K TV and this was the first movie that I bought and said, I've never seen this before, but if I'm going to watch this in any way, it's going to be on my nice ass 4K TV. And it was awesome. <laughs> so I can't say anything really bad about it. The only real complaints I have are that I wish John Wick wasn't saved so much by other people. I wish he got himself out of every problem in sort of a James Bond way. I think there's one or two too many scenes where like he's saved by somebody else like Willem Dafoe saves him in one scene and then I can't remember who else is in it there's a woman that's in there that saves him one more time and I kind of wish they made John Wick a little bit more badass in the way that he can never get caught in that moment he's always going to get out just himself but that's such a small complaint this is really is a great movie mm-hmm. yeah cool all right so, that, uh, so John Wick that's Joe's number nine my number nine um, we've already discussed his second film in our first uh, uh, episode last week. But my number nine is Get Out from uh, Jordan Peele. Is yeah, we, we're going to have to push that one back up to the to later in the episode. That's my top three. All right. All right cool. that, I that's my, that uh, be... Yeah, my number seven. Oh, okay. cool. I figured that would be in at least a couple other people's top ten. So glad to hear it. Um, all right, so we'll skip ahead. Uh, Tristan, what is your number nine? My number nine uh, – I said in the last episode that this was a great decade for horror, and I my number nine pick represents that, and it's It Follows from 2014 from David Robert, David Robert Mitchell. Wow. wow. It's a shocker to put this one really? so high for me, but I, I loved this movie so much. I've seen this like so many times over. Whenever I'm looking for something to watch to get me in kind of the mood for movies, I always watch this one. And for me, it feels like such a loving tribute to slasher movies of old while also feeling like an elevated kind of mental horror movie of today. It feels very much like a coming of age movie for horror movies in a way that horror is transitioning from these slasher movies that are all about jump scares and all about kids getting killed off one by one. And it's becoming this more socially socially conscious, thematically conscious genre and stuff like the witch has come out since. And I think that this, in a in a way is a good watch for anybody who 
wants to transition either between slashers into new horror or between new horror into slashers. I think this is sort of like the scream of this decade in a way where it pays tribute to both eras in a really fascinating way. And there's a lot of thematic complexity to it. I'm sure everybody's heard that, oh, it's about AIDS, it's about uh, STDs. And in a way, it could be read as that, but I think there's a lot more readings to it, a lot more to get from it. So if you want to give it a second watch, I think it's definitely something that is worth rewatching and maybe revisiting now that we've seen horror go in the, the direction that it has. So I think it's something that's super, super underrated from the decade and something that I think is worth revisiting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought um, it was. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like I thought it was good, but it wasn't anything I've gone back to since. You know, I understand yeah, I, I saw, really love it and put it on the top twenty. It was just like not my type of horror film. I usually go more for the more like realistic, you know, type of horror film. Like I loved it, but I, outside of that, I mostly go to the more realistic. See, yeah, I I think for a for a horror film to kind of um, get there for you. Oh no. Wow, Spider Verse was pissed that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, they didn't like it, fellas. <laughs> it's behind you. Um, my thing, my thing with it follows is I feel like every year there's a movie that comes out just like it follows. That's just like, oh, it's a good horror movie, but then it's just like left in the dust. Like Lights Out, Don't Breathe, um, It Follows. Like I saw all of those; they were very enjoyable, and I'll never rewatch them because there's a movie that is like the same quality that'll come out you know, every year that's like, I'm going to see it. I'm going to enjoy it when I watch it. Um, but then I will never really think much into it. I, I, that's just kind of what it follows fell into me. There wasn't a performance that I was like really into, like not, no acting in that movie really draws you back uh, into it. There's not really any actual like horror moments. I understand what you're saying that it's a good throwback to some older movies, but for a movie like to really transcend the genre for me, I don't have a ton of horror movies. Um, like real high, but it needs either a really, really groundbreaking um, like idea behind it, which it follows. I didn't think it was anything like truly groundbreaking. I thought it was, but um, it was no, um, you know, like us, I thought has a much more creative premise. Yeah. And, I, and I think um, also as far as central performance goes, I'll go back and rewatch a movie. My favorite thing in a movie is usually like the central performance. And if that's really good, or if there's like one actor that I really want to see, I'll go back to it. Like, um, I don't want to talk about movies that may be on people's list, but like Midsommar and things like that, I feel like have really good performances and really like actual tense moments. And I didn't feel any of that in It Follows. I thought it was just a good, solid horror movie. So it's, it was surprising that you had it this high because I didn't think anyone praised this movie as high as you did. I thought it was genuinely well-received, but I've never heard anyone be like, Oh yeah, I love that movie. I have actually, like I've heard that, and this is one that I haven't seen, but I've actually heard the praise from horror, especially people that are like in that love the horror genre. Genre. This is very high up on a lot of people's lists, so I, I'm not completely shocked. I'm shocked it maybe made it up into the top ten, but um, like I, you know, as far as like the directing, I've heard is fantastic and all that, but um, it's one that I've wanted to watch, but I've heard some mixed things from people that I usually have like the similar, a similar taste in and it's just kind of not quite as good as maybe I was hearing originally, but it's another one that I, I'll, I do kind of want to watch, but probably on my own. It's good. It, I think you'd watch it and it's on the same level of movies. Like, um, I mean, Joe would disagree, but I think it's on the same level of a movie like hush and lights out and all those that are just good 
solid horror films. Um, I think what brings this above those kind of just like premise movies like that is that it has thematic inch potential in it. Like it has this idea of, I've always read it as the monster that's chasing them is like adulthood. And it's this impending fear of growing up that these kids are having to deal with the reality that's coming for them as they transition in between teenagers and adults. And you see a lot of themes in the movie of them going to places that their parents normally wouldn't let them go to of them doing stuff for the first time. And it all revolves around like virginity and losing your virginity and having sex for the first time, which is in coming of age movies, like almost famous to think of stuff like that, where like him having sex is like this transitional moment. Like you've had this sex uh, interaction and now you have you have gone from childhood to adulthood. Congratulations. You made it. And I think this movie kind of addresses that in a way where you're just passing it along. You're just, you're just furthering, you rush into adulthood and as soon as you do this looming force of adult of growing up is, is right there waiting for you. And I think just having that ability to read into the movie in any way is more than you get from something like don't breathe. Hey, Hush has deep things uh, I think like, be like being deaf when you're, like, when I have a creature in your house can be scary as fuck. That's very deep. Very, very deep. Very true. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think for this one to really like stand the the test of time in history, it depends on David Robert Mitchell's career going forward. Because I used him once for a pitch, and I said how great Under the Silver Lake was, but I've never seen that movie. It's not great. And um, I've heard it's not good. And I've heard, I heard it's not very good. So I, I think um, for a lot of these horror movies like that to kind of transition and stand the test of time, because there's a, like for me every year there's one that comes out to the same quality. It depends on the director's career afterwards, because if you can look back on his career and be like, oh, that's the guy who did It Follows, it'll hold up really well. Like, I think Hush will, um, because I think Mike Flanagan's career is going to go that way. And everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, like, if you like all these Mike Flanagan movies that he's done the past few years, like, go see this. It's kind of like when a director does a smaller movie like um, Christopher Nolan with uh, The Following or Following or whatever his first one is. No No one would know what that movie is if Christopher Nolan didn't blow up. And it almost had a bigger audience at the time because, um, you know, all these horror movies usually do, even when they're made for pretty low budgets. But I think this one can stand the test of time depending on his career. But in 10 years, if he's never done anything up to the level of It Follows, I think this one will kind of get lost in history um, a little bit. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. But I, I'm surprised they have it. you have it so high. I didn't know. That's a good surprising one. I'm interested to see the rest, especially in Tristan's list, because I think he'll have more surprises um yeah to me um yeah, we so have a, we have a live comment as well uh sam park popped back in again and he says i haven't had sex since <laughs> <I saw> it. <laughs> i don't that, blame you man yeah <laughs> okay well some of those that scenes are like burned in my memory yeah. you know but shouldn't you have sex more because then it won't follow you but yeah, that's, pass, that's uh, true if you, yeah, if you just don't have sex time. It could be after you. You better <laughs> fucking pass it up, man. You better get on it, Sam. <laughs> um, all right, Bobby, uh, we're on to your number nine. All right. Uh, so this is one I'm not really sure if it's going to be on anyone's list. I could see it being there, and I can also see it being one that people kind of maybe push to the side or just down below their 20. But I have uh, Whiplash from 2014. Yeah, we're going to have to push that up to my top three also. Wow. <laughs> I really, no, I'm not going to get to talk this episode then. <laughs> no, no so Bobby will get to all, Both of mine, my, my 10 and 9, are pushed up to the top three. Okay. 
I like it though because yeah, like those, those are those are um I have both of those higher. Uh I have whiplash number six, but we'll get to that obviously, but we'll skip my seven and six. Sam Park, good point. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we can give some life advice on here. That's what we're here for. Um all right, so my all right, so eight, yes. So my eight was I think on someone's list earlier, and that's 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, that was oh, yeah, on that my was earlier. 16. That was my yeah. sixteen. All right. Yeah, Mad Max Free Road, it's uh, blanking on the director's name, but basically, who would have thought some 80-year-old guy came out and put George Miller. Yeah, yeah, George, George Miller. Miller. Again, yeah. like I said, babe, pig in the city fame. Yeah, Happy <laughs> Feet. You know? Happy, feet. Happy Feet, really iconic action movie. Yeah. Yeah, who would have thought, you know, the guy that did, I mean, granted, he did the earlier Mad Max movies, but who would have thought the guy that did Babe and Happy Feet could come back and give us, like, one of the best action movies of the decade? I mean, great. You know, good Tom Hardy performance, even though it's not really a Tom Hardy movie. It's a Charlize Theron movie, you know, about this post-apocalyptic world. And the whole movie is just like a two-hour car chase. Uh, They go out to where Charlize Theron was from. They find out that place is a shithole. And so they just turn around and drive back. And, like, the plot of it just sounds terrible. But it turns out like a really well-made road action movie. Yeah, the the um, visuals of that movie are amazing. The the way they uh, really like they, they didn't they use CGI, but they didn't rely yeah. on it. And most of what you're really focusing on is the in camera action. That's like amazing. They have crazy, bizarre concepts like the you know the guitarist yeah, that's the on there, the guy rocking out. Like that was amazing. Yeah, Duke um, Warrior is the best film character. Yeah, like. yeah, I love this movie. I mean, it's it's just it's so much fun. It's just a nonstop ride. Um, it, it's one that I can put again, like I said, with a couple other ones, I can put this on and watch like any scene. Cause you really, the storyline of this movie, like you said, is they go to one place, they figure out, well, let's go back to the other place that we just came from. So there's really not too much. You can jump in at any point in the movie and just watch it. Um, And you could put the movie on mute and miss nothing. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Except for all of the amazing incredible sound effects and explosions. What a day. What a day. Yeah, I, I think this one, um, this one's my number 30 in my top 100. And I, I think it could climb more just because I haven't seen it in a couple of years now, even though the first, like when this first came out on Blu-ray, I watched it like three times the first like year, probably I, I owned it and I saw it twice in, in theaters. I, I love this one. Um, I think for it to have made like my top 20, it would have needed a little more hand-to-hand combat because that's what I like personally in my action movies. But overall, it's something that no one has ever done before. No one's ever seen something like this before. It looks incredible from start to finish. And it's just so thoroughly enjoyable. Like, I just, yeah, I love this movie. It, it didn't make it as high as, as you guys for me, but I would never argue with anyone. Like, if this was number one on someone's list, I'd be like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, this movie kicks ass. Like, it, I love it. This is yeah. one that I I probably would have gotten in the list if I went back and rewatched it again because as soon as it got mentioned in Bob uh, last episode by Bobby I thought oh man that's probably one that I could have gotten in here because for me this is like everything I ever want from an action movie like every second of it's like mindlessly entertaining it's so ridiculously well shot there's like a set a layer of thematic relevance but not really it's kind of all told through the camera it's told through the action and you pause any second of this and you're getting something awesome like every still image even outside of the bombastic action like of them just standing around for a moment having a break and talking you get something gorgeous like furiosa breaking down in the sand after realizing how much she's just lost 
and the women out there in their flowing white dresses. And you compare that to the really gritty and kind of aggregate, like a technology based lifestyle of the men on the other side of the battle. It's, it's all very fascinating to watch. Everything about it is just really fun to look at. So it's definitely a good one. I, like you said, I couldn't argue anybody saying this is a great movie. Yeah. It changed my perspective on Nicholas Holt too. Cause who I, I always thought was good, but I didn't know that he could do that. Like something so different. I thought he was like, he was, he was a solid actor and then that happened. Then he's done some really great things since then too. Um, shout out to uh, the great, um, that show that I think is on Hulu or Amazon Prime, but uh, he's really good in that and also kind of a bizarre, weird role for what you would think think of him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so Mad Max Fury Road, that was Joe's eight. So that brings it to me. And one that was mentioned last week, it was Joe's number 18. My number eight is I Saw the Devil um, from 2010. Um I'm obsessed with this movie. I watched this movie in college um, with my roommate, Phil. Shout out to Phil. Um, I don't know if he ever watches this or listens to it, but either way, we were, you know, we were in a college dorm, so we had the door open always, and we're watching this movie, and we were just screaming at, like, how amazing this is. That This one, there's a scene in this movie for anyone who doesn't know, this is the premise. It's very, 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 very violent. So it's not for everyone. If someone told me they couldn't watch this movie, I would not blame them. Um, <laughs> you're Batman. You soon ran out of here. Um, but there's Justice League. But this one is about a uh, a serial killer who kills um, a pregnant woman who is engaged or married to someone in the um, in the. Uh, basically like the Korean secret service. And this guy tracks him down and keeps beating him to like, he eventually finds the serial killer, tracks him down. Um, uh, I don't know if people know the names of people, but if you've ever seen old boy, the lead uh, and old boy is the serial killer. He's incredible. Um, and he uh, is just like the most evil character I think ever put on screen. And the secret service guy just, keeps beating him within an inch of his life and then releasing him back like into the wild. And then he keeps tracking him back down. But what I love so much about this one is that I feel like most revenge movies like taken, right. You have kind of like the happy ending, you have him get his revenge and it's like, Oh, day is saved. And you kind of ignore, Oh yeah. But like also her friend that she was on vacation with was like brutally married and married, <laughs> murdered and sold into like, the sex trade and all these terrible things, but whatever, I got my daughter back. This one really shows you that like the terrible, horrible things that happen by trying to get revenge and doing it. Like, you know, it, you get basically an emotionless character. And at the end of the film, you get the one scene where he like breaks down and starts, he kind of bursts into tears. And I think it's very emotional. Um, I think this film is definitely not for everyone, but if you can, if you can stomach violence, because this has more of it than, pretty much any other movie I've seen. Um, you ever want to be fucking petrified by seeing someone's Achilles popped? Um, well, don't remind me of that scene, man. Oh, man. That's the scene that Phil and I are watching it, and that happened, and it's so enough, and it doesn't cut away, and it's just horrifying. Phil and I screamed. Like, you you could hear it from down the hallway. We were, we were terrified. So this one stuck with me. I watch it, like, two or three times a year because I'm a psychopath. Um, and <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> incredible it's outstanding um yeah, it's, it's I, I get the end too how they kind of like humanize the 
villain too and they like kind of bring his family in and you see like oh he like has like a family life and like it almost makes him more scary that's yeah that that like because you always expect like these loners or something that no one really knows but like just the more this kind of explores even like the world that the serial killer like lives in you have the scene with the cannibals in the house and stuff like that like oh they all are afraid of this guy but you know, like everyone within this world that knows who this guy is, he's basically like the king of it. And and it's it's a fucked up movie, um, but it has a lot of really good action scenes. It has one of the coolest things I've ever seen with um, when he basically, the guy tries to get arrested and then he picks him up in a car in a way I've never seen in a movie before. Um, I, I think just a lot of it is cool. It is long. It's like two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes, but uh, you're kind of sucked in right away. It yeah. has some of the scariest scenes I've ever seen on film and some of the best action. And and I like a good, uh, really dark thriller um, and revenge story. And that's what this one is. Yeah, That that Achilles moment reminds me of uh, A Quiet Place with the nail. Um, with, with something just like, so simple being so visceral because you can picture exactly that happening to you. Think of that nail scene, times it by like 100, and then... Um, not even like a thousand, like oh, I figured like visually, yeah, I'm sure it's the same, but that was just the first thing that popped in my head as like something that's just painful to watch. There's not many things that I can watch that like literally make me like cringe, but that scene, like, no matter how many times I see it, I have to like close my eyes, like, I watch it through like my fingers. I'm like, well, I know what's happening, I've seen this movie fucking 12 times, but like. I gotta see. Uh, I gotta see it again. Like, yeah, I watched like, this once, and it was so terrifying. so brutal. Like, like you guys yeah. mentioned, there's so many scenes you watch through your fingers. You're literally shouting. It's not like a, a horror movie, you know. It's not like a a slasher or a ghost or something that's coming for him. It's just like pure body horror pain inflicted mm-hmm. on this one person. And I didn't feel like I had to watch that more than once. I don't know how you watch it multiple times <laughs> a year. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, if you if you can stomach at, like torture. I mean, if you, I think of stuff like Hard Candy with with uh with Elliot Page and Patrick Wilson, yeah. where she's getting mm-hmm. this kind of revenge torture on this guy. But yeah, if you can stomach gore, I think there's a lot to get from this movie. It's not for everybody, like you said, but if body horror is your thing, check this one out. Yeah, yeah, this one, this one, um, I started watching with my with my fiance, and I don't think, even though I've seen this movie a million times, I don't think I really took in how violent it was until I was watching it with her. And I was just like, all right, we're going to have to turn this off. By the time basically the, um, the father looking for his daughter sees her head rolling across the yard dropped by the forensic team. Um, I was like, all right, we'll turn this off. <laughs> this is maybe a little too much for you. I'll watch this on my own. Um, yeah. So yeah. you know, And that all happens within the first little bit of the film. So Watch it uh, if you can stomach violence, but yeah, just, definitely not for everyone. But I'm, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. I couldn't get Jen to watch this just by the title alone. So, <laughs> yeah, no, you. Uh, that's a good uh, good call. Um, this also is Kim Ji Woon who directed this. Uh, is one of the best working directors out there. He did um, a Bittersweet Life, which was a pretty popular one. Um, he did the Good, the Bad, the Weird, which is one of my favorite movies. That would be in my top ten if this if it wasn't made in two thousand eight. Um, and then he did like the last stand even, which was a popular, um, you know, like semi popular Arnold film that kind of got his career back on track. That's just like a fun, um, a fun, dumb action movie, which I like. So uh, great director. I'm excited to see basically everything he does. 
So yeah. that's, uh, that's my uh, eight. Uh, Tristan, what is your eight? All right, my eight. You said you want some kind of deep cut surprises. This is probably the last one on here that's like a true deep cut, but it's 2011's The Tree of Life by director Terrence Malick. Really? Yeah, no, definitely not. A list. I've never watched <laughs> I it. I've heard enough about it to know that it will never be on my list. Yeah, I feel like I this was it. Yeah. Sam Park came again. I feel like this might have been a reaction to. Uh, I, saw I saw the devil. devil. Yeah, not to the tree of life. I need to, I need not to the tree of life. You should have watched <laughs> Tree of Life though. Tree of Life is fascinating. It's it really uses the language of cinema in a unique way, and I think we don't see a lot of movies like this today, where a lot of stuff is very straightforward with the plot. A lot of stuff is. A to B to C action and so, and this is sort of just using your mind to interpret what you're seeing and there's a language that's established there like you get juxtaposition of, of shots to to break it down for people who haven't seen it it's there is a plot here it's about a family living in the 1950s and it kind of explores each of these characters' lives and how they've been impacted by the death of one of the children of the family because in, this, in the opening scene we get a death notice. He's in his early 20s and he's died. We don't quite know how, but we get some glimpse into his life and see his troubled past and we get an idea that maybe he killed himself or he had some kind of drug-related or crime-related death. And we go one by one through each of these members of the family thinking back on this kid and what path might have brought him to where he ended up. So you get, you don't get any clear answers, but you definitely get a chance to think yourself on how we define meaning in our lives when there's a, when all of our lives are eventually going to be hit by the wall of death, no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, no matter how bad we are, we all come to the same end. And this movie, to me, is very inspirational. It's very powerful in being able to, especially in 2020, I rewatched it before this episode to confirm my ranking. And I think it really inspired me to enjoy my life and enjoy every moment of my life and be mindful of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, because time is fragile and it slips away, but this is all we have. And I think we have to really learn to appreciate what's around us, appreciate the people around us and the relationships we have. And now that we're all slowly, but surely coming out of quarantine, I think this might be a movie to, to watch. It really reminds you of the importance of human connection between family and friends and between you and the earth and life around you it just makes everything feel very, very important. <laughs> so I, I recommend it for people who are willing to get past that. Also, if you can get past the runtime, isn't this movie like four hours long? No, it's like two thirty around there, like a little longer than some movies, but not longer than what we've had on this list. There's an extended cut technically, but that's like that's three what, hours long. Yeah, but like, you should definitely watch like the normal version, <laughs> two and a half around there, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, uh, that's just one none of us have seen. I probably won't take your recommendation because I am not interested in really ever seeing it maybe one day out of respect for Tristan I'll watch this one but that's probably yeah you, you the, take the hit for us and tell the tell me and Bobby how it goes. yeah because that, that I know that what I know that movie it's not not for me but you know what I guess you never know so it's I'm, pretty character focused it's it. kind of intimate so if you it's not very straightforward with the plot but if you're if you're wanting to get out of your comfort zone a little bit it, it's it's worth a try yeah I can promise you Joe won't like this one. I mean, I love 2001 A Space Odyssey, which has similar themes um, in terms of just like existential questions and things like that and doesn't really tell you things directly and it's more about visuals. Um, I don't know if that's a great like comparison to this, but I've heard them 
kind of compared before. It was the only time in my life I've ever like, oh, maybe I should watch this Terrence Malick movie. But I probably won't. So I know Joe <laughs> won't like it. But maybe, maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll, we'll see if I got... If I ever feel like I go. hate myself, I'll, tr- I'll throw it on. See what it's about. I don't know if that'll help. <laughs> um, next next loss. We'll like whoever loses our pitches has to right. Watch it. You have to watch that. Uh, <laughs> right. Um. All right. So that was the tree of life. Not much to say on that. Tristan uh, said everything yeah. that needs to be said. Uh, Bobby, what is your number eight? Uh, my number eight is from a director that we've brought up a lot on our uh, various shows pitching movies. Um, one of my favorites from last year, um, and that's Jojo Rabbit from Taika Waititi. That yeah, anyone definitely anyone not on my list. No, no. So I made my yeah. top one hundred, but it's not in my not anywhere near. Yeah. So the, I find this heartwarming, heartbreaking. It, really good performances from really everyone. Um, Scarlett Johansson, one of her best performances. Uh, and just the direction of Taika Waititi, I think, is really what makes this. Because the story, um, it, it's like I had a hard time pitching this to to Johnny and I, like our parents, um, because I'm like, oh, it's this it's kid, this kid. He's you know growing up uh, as a being brought up as a Nazi, and he has a um, you know his in in his uh, imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. It's like. Okay, but you know, he I think Taika Waititi pulls it off really well. Um, it's like it's kind of it's like it's a coming of age story in a in a way that I've never really seen it done before in this context of of uh, you know the Nazis and everything there. Sam Rockwell is really good in it as too as you know, and he has like his moments, you know, kind of showing that everyone kind of can have a heart, uh, even if you are a kind of drunk drunk Nazi essentially is what he is but you know he he uh, uh, has his moment I, I just I really enjoyed this movie I thought it was like again I thought it was so unique um, in, in its storytelling and in the way they portrayed such a you know terrible person and as through a, an Adolf Hitler through what a child dies and what he would see is like oh he's just this kind of goofy leader guy that I'm supposed to look up to uh, and then kind of realizing, you know, kind of what everything's about. But I, I, yeah, I really like this movie. I wasn't sure how everyone else kind of thought of it. I know Johnny, you liked it, but it wasn't in your top few of last year or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I really like Taika Waititi and his style and his movies. And this is probably my, this is my favorite. Um, other, like what, what we do in the shadows is, is awesome. I think this one just gets to another level as far as just the themes and that um, and the, the, kind of the character moments. Yeah, for me, I Yeah, I like this one. I was um, just going to say it's a really good comedy and then like a really good drama. I just don't know if the, like, the two tones blended well enough for me to put it even in like my top 50. It'd probably be in like the 75-ish spot if I were to do a top 100. Yeah, and I could see that, the tone, but I love I loved the mix of comedy and drama in the movie. To me, it worked perfectly. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what... I, I, I tend to like a lot of that style. A lot of any movie that can have really good comedy, but then also have those dramatic moments where, I mean, when it's not super jarring and I didn't find it jarring in this movie, um, but that tends to get to me. I like those quite a bit. Yeah. That's my number 79, uh, in my top 100. So it made it. Um, I've only seen the movie. I actually do think I, I saw it a couple times. Look at Sam Park coming in. Trio of life's my favorite wow. movie. 
Is this Tristan's burner? Is this Tristan's burner account? It's my ultimate account. <laughs> yeah, account. Sam Park's my um, favorite viewer now. Right. Yeah. And, and Mike Michael Cullen saying our parents ended up loving Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, they did. And uh, everyone that I've talked to has has liked or loved it to some extent. Like I, I don't really know many people that just straight up don't like this movie, um, except for. Yeah, I, I, I think there's. Yeah. I think there's things you can improve on it. I don't love Scarlett Johansson in it. Um, I, I think I she love her. performance, but like we talked about her last week, I would have really. I think that role would have been better for someone like a Rebecca Hall. Um, someone like that, I just think looks like the character that I like. Just if you went by just pure dialogue and how the character is portrayed, I don't picture Scarlett Johansson. I, I think that takes me out of the movie sometimes when you have like, oh, this woman who looks very much like a woman nowadays, but we're going to throw her back in Nazi times. And it does, I can't get over that sometimes. Um, what We Do in the Shadows is my number 28, by the way. I love that movie uh, way more than Jojo Rabbit. But I do love I, – I think Jojo Rabbit's good. I think it's carried by um, Taika and the two kids, uh, the two kid actors. The lead and um, the girl are both phenomenal. I, I could give or take any of the performances by any of the adults in this um, movie, basically, other than Taika. But I, I, I think um, – I don't know. I just had like little nitpicks like that, but again, it, it's good. It has some comedy and then it has heartbreaking scenes. Not to give anything away, but like as soon as you see the shoes, like yeah, that the shoes scene breaks your heart. Like, you know, I think just if I had been more interested in the character, um, that scene would have been more, uh, you know, uh, it would have hit me harder. Yeah. And so, I thought she was fan really fantastic in that. And she d definitely didn't pull me out um, and she got a lot of praise for it. So, it definitely yeah, my, only me for that one. My thoughts are I'm similar to Joe's, and I don't think it juggles its tone quite as well as it thinks it's doing. And mm -hmm. I wish it would have had a little bit more teeth or a little bit more of a comedic edge. It was never quite as funny as I thought it was trying to be. It was never quite as like satirical and punchy as I thought it was trying to be. But still a very good, enjoyable movie. But I wouldn't have it in this top list. But I do want to recommend if you like this movie to check out The Death of Stalin on Netflix. Uh, it's what it is, it's a, a direct adaptation. Not, it's a completely indirect adaptation of what happened in Soviet Russia right after Stalin died. And it's filled with British guys who look nothing like Russians and speak English with British accents. But it's just kind of like, you're supposed to accept that and go with it. It's a very, very comedic. It's very dialogue heavy. I think it's just slightly funnier and slightly punchier than this movie. <laughs> so I was actually debating on getting Death of Stalin into my lower 20s or into my 20 spot or my 19 spot. Uh, so if you if you like Jojo Rabbit, I recommend Death of Stalin on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. Yeah, Death of Stalin um, over Jojo Rabbit is like the people that are like, yeah, yeah, the British office is way better. Like if that's your, <laughs> like if that's your style, if that's your style of humor, it hits it hits you. Um, I don't think it's for everyone. It's not quite like Monty Python um, like level of funny British comedy, but it's like that style. So if you if you do like some British comedy, it's very different. Um, and definitely, like Tristan said, more dialogue heavy. I, I think that's a good recommendation. But I do think Jojo Rabbit's a stronger, um, like just a better directed movie overall with just humor that sticks out to me a little better. But, you know. Um, where the does British that office leave is us? pretty good. Oh. Uh, right. that was, yeah. That's at my number seven. <laughs> And we're just gonna skip me because it's gonna be. Uh, I, I'm I'm confident this is in someone's top three, and that's uh, 2019's Parasite. 
Oh yeah, that's gonna you're gonna have to push that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that it that's uh that's my number five. that's my number five, so you can write that in for me. Okay, and then um we're gonna skip my number seven because it was Wolf of Wall Street. So Tristan, what is your number seven? Back to me. Uh, we mentioned that I thought it was a great movie, a great decade for horror movies, and I also think it was a great decade, great great decade for debut horror directors. And I think uh, The Witch oh, definitely stands out as that for me from 2015. Johnny's been holding back on that one. I haven't seen it, so holding back his opinion. I just, I just watched it, so I'll hear Tristan what he has to say on it. There's so much incredible attention to detail in this movie. Like all of the sets, all of the costumes, everything that you see is so meticulously crafted to being accurate to the times down to the the breed of goats that you see. He made sure to get the closest you can get to the goats that were what would be in North America at that time. And he, he really, this is a horror movie, but it's very much like a pilgrim drama movie. You're, you're getting such an incredible detail of what it's like to live in that secluded life out in the middle of the wilderness to feel that that pressure of religious extremism that happened in the Puritan days of that wrath and fire is coming down for you any second. It had this constant sense of fear in these characters that manifested into the reality, the fear in the movie. I watched it with the director's commentary on before this episode, and I think that significantly increased my love for the movie because he goes into really, really detailed explanations of, oh, that drape in the back there, we got that from here because it's exactly the same material they would use in that time in this kind of a setting. And he would actually admit to the faults. He'd say, I thought this scene wasn't really shot that well, but we needed to have it in there for the plot. So uh, I'm not a big fan of this shot here or how this shot's lit and stuff like that. And I think it was really comforting to see a director be that honest about not just the pros of his movie, but also the cons and to be able to admit this is what I would have done better if I could have, but I'm proud of this shot. I like this shot a lot really in this particular scene. So I think if you just want to learn filmmaking, if you want to see how you can have a moderately small budget and still achieve something that looks gorgeous and has an incredible attention to detail, really great performances. Anya Taylor-Joy went from a nobody to like a practical all-star, partially because of this movie. You know, this was like her, her big coming out party. So I think it's a great one. I think in terms of horror movies of the decade, this is definitely one of my favorites in terms just it took horror to another level that I didn't think horror could ever get to. Yeah. The, um, the movie's about as exciting as everything Tristan just said. Uh, it's extremely boring and it, uh, I don't know. It just, for me, I mean, I had to turn on the subtitles and I still didn't know what the fuck any of the dialogue meant. Like I get that it's attention to detail and it's great filmmaking, but like this just wasn't for me. I thought like, you know, if this hits you and you're really into what style of goat, you know, is the right kind, like, okay, cool. But like the fuck, this movie is, there we go. Sam Park. Sam Park said, what's my thoughts on the witch? Let's ask the goat from the movie. It's bad. Yeah, I I think that was Black Shorts. Yeah, exactly. The the witch is the biggest, like, it's funny because I don't love always using this, but I think it's the biggest, like, film snob movie of all time. Like, (laughs) this movie is very much Like, and even like, you can't get into how much you like this movie without mentioning the things Tristan mentioned. Like, the only way you enjoy this movie is being like, it's just like a really well-made film. The director like took so much time on this one thing. Like, that's all cool, but like, that doesn't make for 
entertainment to me. Like, yeah, teach me this movie in film class. Like, okay. But I didn't think anything in this movie was actually was now nothing in this movie is scary. Like there's no actual horror elements. Like, you know, there are some horrific things that happen, but you're never, I never felt the tension because I didn't really care about any of the characters. Um, None of them are very likable. Um, I don't know. It, it's just overall, I think it's a very well-made movie. A very, it's, is, uh, the attention to detail is something to like be impressed by. But I think that's the only reason that I would ever recommend this movie to anyone is to be like, if you just love how a movie is made, watch this. But as far as plot, story, actual horror, like, no, there's nothing in this movie that I thought was like pulled me in. So that's cool about the goat, but like, I want to see some horror or some, you know, character work that makes me interested uh, mainly too, because I hate old pilgrimy dialogue. I think this country was so fucking, oh, the world had the worst dialogue. I'm so glad everything changed because, oh my God, these people sound awful. I can't believe this is how people talk. It sounds like, like nonsense. Years, they'll say that about you. So it's all right. Yeah. I hope, I hope so, but I hope it's just even cooler dialogue. Everything will just be like texting each other with their mouths anyway. But the only thing that intrigues me about this movie is this right here. Because every single reaction I've seen of this movie is you absolutely love it or it's the worst movie you've ever seen. Like, or just so boring you can't get into it. I've, I've never seen anyone walk, that seen that. I've never talked to anyone or like heard anyone talk about The Witch saying it was okay. Like it's, it's, I, mean, I, I thought I thought it was okay. No, you said I, it was really boring and slow and not that you couldn't get into like that's That's not okay. The way you described <laughs> it's it. Okay because, because if it was really, really bad, I would have turned it off, but it did, even though I couldn't stand any of the dialogue, like I hated all of the dialogue, the way they, they talk, I was at least sucked in enough to watch it till the end. And I wanted to see what happened. So as much shit as I just, you know, uh, uh, a poll on this movie. I don't know. Um, <laughs> as much as I just shit on this movie, I, I do think it has some elements that, like, at least it's more watchable than uh, than some other ones. This is not as good um, as uh, the Lighthouse by any means. Um, that's Egger's other movie, but I, I think it has. I don't know. It has weird elements, but yeah, there's nothing scary in it. So it, it, it's if you're going into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to watch this horror movie, it's not the type of horror. It's a it's more of a psychological horror movie as far as like the family dynamics go. And that's the only like horror element. But if you're going into a movie called the witch thinking that it's gonna like, I don't know, have some scares. It, it's not really that it's just kind of a psychological thriller. And I, I think to that extent, it does a pretty good job. But if I could get past the dialogue, if they were just like, you know what, I get the attention to detail, but this dialogue was stupid. We're going to talk like nowadays I would have been more into it. And you know, whatever. So, yeah, there you go. Sam Park shitting up the witch. Sam Park said the witch was about as scary as an episode of Muppet Babies. You know, I was a fan yeah. of Sam Park when he liked True Life, but I'm starting to. <laughs> now it's hard because everything he said about you. this, like, oh, the it's very slow, it's very boring. There's not a lot of scares. The dialogue is like unrelatable. All that I'm like, well, yes, that's that's why I like it. <laughs> like all of those things yeah. are things that I like about the movie. I like that it takes its time. I like that you feel like you transported into this era, and you hear people are talking Hollywood, people are living Hollywood, people are interacting Hollywood, and it, it feels almost like a folk legend that you would tell in that time that come to life. This is sort of like a story you tell a little girl who is being too 
rambunctious and confident. You say, oh, you know, if you get too wild, they're going to go dragged out into the woods and the witches are out there. I heard this story about Anya Taylor-Joy and her dad who moved out to a cabin in the woods. And I think he went for that feel, feeling like a fairy tale, feeling like something that would have been told as a folklore in New England times and bringing it to life. So I think it just it's very beautiful to watch. A lot of beautiful set design, costume design, really good performances. Like you said, the dialogue is bad, but they're performing it so naturally and so yeah. with so much energy no, and so much it. passion. You can, it well. It's almost like you're, like I said, like you're transporting back and watching this happen. So I think that level of detail is just what really pushed up for me. Yeah, I think um, everything that this movie set out to do, it did it very, very well. So that's my praise for it is – like if tri- if you're like Tristan and everything about this movie hits you, you're going to enjoy it. But I don't think it has a very wide appeal because this isn't the type of movie that most people will see and be like, "Oh wow, that was like just really good." I feel like most people who see it are probably that aren't like film critics are not going to be into it. Um, but you know, whatever. I, I think if this movie hits you right, I could see it being high. But it didn't for me. So you're kind of getting the two the two big opinions on it because. I, I did think I, I could understand um, aspects of it being like cool and, and a high praise of it. Like you said, like with how much attention to detail they took, but like, I don't need to see movies that do that if they don't interest me as much. Like, you know, I'd rather see like there will be blood, which is a way different film, but it has a little more kind of weird dialogue, but it's not as old timey and it has more compelling characters. And some people say that movie is boring, but I think the performances hold you in, better than anything in, in the witch. So that's kind of the only thing I'd say on it. So uh, we're on to Bobby's number seven. So I think I'm pretty sure that this is skipped. Uh, it is my number seven's get out. Didn't someone say that? Was yeah. We're going to have to three? skip up. To yeah. I'm like, I thought uh, someone said that. Yeah. yeah. That was my nine. Um, and that's going to be high on Tristan's list. Joe, what's your six? My six is a skip from Bobby's list, and I don't imagine it's either on Johnny or Tristan's list. And that's a movie that's currently streaming on Prime and Hulu, and that's 2011's Warrior. Not on my list. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, I like it, Joe. That's my number. That's my number twenty-three. So it was close to being top twenty. I think that's the best sports movie of the uh, of the decade, um, but. That's that's really it. Joe, you love this one a lot, so yeah, I watched it probably like three to four months. Great story about these two brothers uh, that have been separate that were separated like around their high school age. One went on to become a like high school science teacher who you know dabbled in MMA and was in the UFC. Had like a very short stint in the UFC. The other one was like this amazing high school wrestler that went on to join that thing. It was either the army or the Marines. Yeah, he joined the Marines. And they both get entered into this MMA tournament. And one's like a submission artist, and the other one's just like this knockout guy that just goes in, punches a guy like two or three times, knocks him out. But it's this really good dramatic story and obviously ends with the two of them facing each other in the tournament. Like, not really a spoiler. That line's in the trailer. And every time... Brian Callen delivers the line of like the two guys fighting in the tournament tonight are brothers. Like I get hyped up every time. Like I could just watch the trailer and get hyped up the story. I watched an interview with the director of the movie and the story of Nick Nolte getting cast in this movie is amazing of 
it's just like this ultimate story of exactly how you would imagine Nick Nolte would be. He invites the director over to his house for lunch. Director and the producer are there, and they're sitting there for hours, and they're starving. And they're like, hey, Nick Nolte, you promised us lunch. He's like, oh, right, right. He hobbles over across the back of his yard, grabs a tomato from his garden, and walks back, dusts it off on his pants, and hands it to the director and the writer for them to eat. Uh, but yeah, That's amazing. Just, <laughs> Nick Nolte's a character. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this great I have spoken. Brother. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with everything Joe said. Like, it, it, this movie gets you hyped up. I... I would much rather watch The Witch than watch boxing or MMA. I think those are unwatchably um, terrible sports, but, you know, some people have an audience. But I love this movie, and I love boxing movies for the most part, too. So I'm like, it's much more interesting to see movies about it than actually watch it. And I thought that, again, like taking a like MMA, which I don't really care about, and then making such a compelling movie for me, that kind of steps it up some spots. So it, it almost cracked my top 20. Um, but not quite. But I do love all the performances. Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton are great. I love their scene on the beach when they have dialogue, um, you know, before the the tournament or before they fight. Um, I like the different kind of fighting styles. Um, and yeah, that's really all it is to say. I'm waiting for the sequel that's 10 years later when they have CTE and are and kill themselves. But and you Tom know, Hardy's the uh, more unintelligible, and he, he's just yeah. Right. Tom, Hardy, Tom Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hardy is Nick Nolte in like 10 years uh, after this one. <laughs> yeah. and the, the, you know, kind of happy ending is ruined because the dude ruins his life because of all his brain injuries. Um, but Tristan, you seem to not be as big of a fan as the three of us. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I saw it, but it made so it didn't make much of an impact on me. I'll start off by saying I don't usually – follow sports i don't I mean i watch baseball i watch hockey but i'm not like a person who follows every team and follows a lot of sports outside of my hometown so i'm not a big sports person but i'm thinking i might want to give it a rewatch you you especially johnny you sold it for me a lot by saying like i don't like ufc but i like this movie and i i feel that similarly i i don't like ufc i don't like fighting as a sport but when i watch something like creed i'm enthralled by every second of it you know it's such yeah. a compelling way to get to build a character and to give him his goal and to really build up to a specific moment in the story. So, I mean, I remember barely anything about this. I haven't watched it since I was younger. Uh, so I'll probably give it a rewatch and give it a chance, but typically sports movies just aren't really my thing. I don't connect romantically to sports. I don't connect emotionally to sports. So it's hard for me to get over the hump of wanting to watch a sports movie. Yeah. I, I think, cause I love this movie too. It was on my, it was on my list uh, earlier that was skipped. Um, but yeah, like I, I do, I am a big sports person in general, but I'm not a big MMA, UFC, boxing, any of that fan, but this movie is just so visceral in how they do those fights. I mean, they're not necessarily the most realistic fights in the world, but they're really fun to watch. Um, and I think the part Tristan that you on a rewatch might appreciate is like, it's the family drama. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's estranged family members and, and all that, like it. It, it tells a really good story to build up to what you know is coming, which is with them facing off against each other. Like, you know that right from the beginning, but they tell such a good journey that you're emotionally invested all the way once they actually do fight. Um, I'd give it a rewatch when you have the chance, see if it, if it hits you differently. Yeah, they definitely yeah, like yeah. set up the stakes. It's not just like, oh, these two guys are fighting. Like, the one guy's fighting, if he loses the fight, you know, he loses his house. The other guy, he's fighting because his friend from the military 
uh, his he died and so his family has no money so he needs the money to help out his friend and it's like very much like important stakes beyond just like the sport and the fight itself yeah i like the best sports movies yeah the best sports movies to me are the ones that center around the characters and the sports are just kind of the background and that's what this movie does well um it's about the characters it's about their motivations it's about kind of the desperation that they all um have and then the sports are like the way out of out of those things so i I like that it's centered around that um i think it has enough character pieces to be exciting joel edgerton and tom hardy again are both great so that's kind of my thoughts it's like the fighter in terms of like the sports feel secondary um and it's more about the family dynamics and and same director as miracle so he clearly knows how to do sports movies uh, which i still love even with some you know questionable acting I am a hockey player. The movie about how the U.S. killed communism. Yeah. Um, which is. Did that work? Not. <laughs> well, it was, it was M, and then it was Rocky. I mean, it was in. Rocky. Yeah, it was Rocky. Like, yeah, Rocky Four. Right it's funny that watching Miracle is different after growing up and seeing movies like Red Army and seeing the impact it had on a lot of people and things like that in Russia and like the Soviet Union. So. I, I think that's an interesting one um, to do, but I like I like a lot of sports documentaries. Rather, like I transitioned more to sports documentaries and sports movies, but Warriors still one that I'll I'll turn on and watch if I want to get hyped up. Um, so that was Joe's six. My six, I think, was one that we're skipping, uh, which is Whiplash, and then Tristan. What is your number six? All right, my number six. I didn't think this was a niche pick, but as you've gone along these episodes, I've I've realized people might not like it as much as I thought that they did. But this is 2014's Interstellar from Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I, I love that movie. You know, it's great. It's just not on my list. It probably would have been like 35, 40 if I did like a full 100. That's about where it would fall for me too. I love this movie, but um, and yeah, it is a little more controversial. Apparently, like. You know, when I saw it, I thought, oh, everyone was going to like this movie. And a lot of people walked out not really liking liking it as much as other Nolan movies. But I, I love it. It's really good yeah. to me. That's my that's my 38. So that's about, I think, where it'd fall maybe for. for There's Jordan. a lot of flaws that I can see in people's in people's reactions to this. People don't like the dialogue. They don't like that. It's so hokey about love conquers all. But. When I watch a sci-fi movie, I don't really give a shit if I follow what's happening. Like, <laughs> just give me the themes and give me the characters and give me like their emotional experience of having to inter- interact with something completely unimaginable. Like they're out in, in space, experiencing time distillation, experiencing some kind of future version of humanity, experiencing time from a different dimension. We don't need to understand why that's happening. Like they have a human theory that love is why it's happening, but I don't need to know. I just want to see the wave sequence and I want to see the docking sequence and I want to see Matthew McConaughey get a message from his grown up children and realize that he missed the entire life of his children because he's off from this planet and there's nothing he can do about it. And people criticize Nolan for his emotional connection to characters. I don't think that he really portrays emotion all that well, but this movie is like an emotional powerhouse. Like from the moment that he gets back in that ship after this harrowing battle against the waves in this planet and he's he knows that he's missing years and years of his life they reunite with their crew member and he's very old they realize that he's been up there all this time and then 
you kind of sink in that realization like, oh, it's not just him. It's like everyone, <laughs> like Matthew McConaughey's entire family that we spent the whole first 30 minutes getting to know. They're all going to be adults now. And how is he going to deal with that as a character? And I think McConaughey really carries that scene tremendously. I felt extremely emotionally impacted by that. I was crying in the theater watching that. And by the time when he, at the end, when he reunites with his family, I felt that too. And this movie is not necessarily about following the plot. It's more about following the characters and following their emotional experiences and just kind of taking in the beauty of the filmmaking. Like for me, this is what I wish big name directors like Nolan were doing. I don't really want Nolan to come back and do like another Batman movie or something like that. I think that these very stylistic, very big minded directors should be let free to just do something crazy. You know, and when I think of big budget sci-fi, I think of this, give us these incredible shots of space and ships and the scope of the themes and the problems they're dealing with as characters is so big, but it doesn't feel like an action movie. It's just pure scope and pure theme and pure sci-fi. And I, I love this movie. I've seen it so, so many times. I've seen it 10 times in theaters. <laughs> I watch it over and over again in theaters and I've watched the blurry over and over again. So for me, this is like what directors should be aspiring towards. if They want to make something in sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. A lot. I like the different aspects of it. There, the only thing, my only real complaint about it is, I feel like it takes too long for him to get to the like NASA center. I feel, I think that's like forty-five minutes into the movie, where I feel like within like twenty minutes we could be at the NASA facility. For yeah. me, I think that works because you get that emotional reaction of you've seen the young kids, you've seen Matthew McConaughey's normal life, you've seen what he's leaving behind, so that when he goes out and does this, you really feel the impact of he's leaving not just people that we're told he cares about behind but people that we know he cares about. Yeah. The pacing well, for this one of them that he cares about. One, <laughs> he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't yeah. give a shit about the, the sun. No. Yeah, he does not care about Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Timothy doesn't care about him. It's, it's, it's all Murph, but yeah, as much as that scene, as much as that scene has been memed and gift to death, it still is emotional. And like that, that, that is a really good scene. Um, I, yeah, this is, a really good movie, uh, Johnny. We saw that with like my dad, and I forget who else went and all said we all loved it. Um, the take on sci-fi, the whole black hole um, science that they used, and all that was was really interesting and intriguing. And and the, I thought he did do the emotions well, even though it, moments of the dialogue, I did feel like the whole love conquers all. Like I felt it like that's a little on the nose, but I, I forgave it when I was watching it because I liked the rest of it so much. Yeah, I, I think with this one, um, again, like I couldn't fault anyone for it being so high. When this came out, um, I saw it three times in theaters in like the first week, I think, that it was out. I, I really, really loved um, Interstellar. And I knew that I had to see it as many times as I could in theaters because I knew it would never be the same watching at home. And that's true. Like this isn't one that I revisit at home quite often, but if I had a home theater or if I, or if this was playing at a theater, um, I would definitely go, go see it or watch it because it's definitely a theater experience. I agree with um, everything pretty much anyone has said. I, I don't agree with Tristan that at the end it has any emotional, um, you know, the reuniting him and Murph at the end, I feel like was a swing and a miss. I think that could have been more powerful because I do think um, all the other emotional stuff in the yeah. movie is really well done. I it's think rushed a little bit. It's a little rough. Yeah, it's just kind of like I didn't need a ton more, but I just felt like watching it. It was very underwhelming. 
Um, I don't need that scene to be like much longer because it's towards the end of it, but I just felt underwhelmed by the emotions in that one. Um, especially compared to the scene afterwards, like when McConaughey's crying, when he realizes his kids are all grown up. Like that scene is the best emotional scene that no one's ever done. One of the best that I've seen in pretty much any film. I, I think that scene holds up. Um, yeah, I think Anne Hathaway's character is like pointless in this movie. Like I hate all of her dialogue in this movie, all about the love and stuff like that. And I think that holds it down a little bit, but, and I think that that's no fault of her. I just think that her dialogue is, she is like, no one kind of feels like he needs the Joseph Gordon-Levitt interstellar type character. I feel like in, in his movies that give you more exposition or while everything else is maybe a little more subtle, they need one character to kind of spell things out. And I think that's what Anne Hathaway is in this one. So I don't like that kind of trope of Nolan. Um, but everything else I think is really good. Anytime they go to a different planet, I think it's awesome. I love all of the, the silent docking scenes and stuff like that. Like I love those in space movies. Like that stuff works for me. And, and this one showed emotion really well. I just recently watched Ad Astra and that movie sucked uh, serious balls. Um, and had no emotional connection in it at all. And Interstellar, I think people kind of crap on it for it, but I think it does have emotional connection. I think it's just the visuals are insane. I love a good, um, like, just practical effects and stuff in terms of space movies. That's why 2001 A Space Odyssey's effects in space hold up better than most other space movies that have come out even recently. Um, a movie that came out in 1968 looks better, and I feel the same way about interstellar that movie is going to hold up and look better than most movies that are very cgi heavy so i appreciated interstellar a lot uh but not quite as much as tristan um anything else to say on interstellar shout out that's to all people. i got people great one having a very punchable face in that movie <laughs> everyone everyone spoke at everyone once. talks at um, once. who did you say has a punchable face in the uh, toe for grace in that movie so for Grace's face is always funny. I know, but um, good casting for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sam Park has said uh, Interstellar was good, but it's not as good as Dunkirk. That would be in my top ten. Dunkirk has amazing oh. craft. Like the filmmaking in Dunkirk is so un unmet. It's like really this, good. the action is incredible. You you couldn't tell the difference between real planes and Dunkirk. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, Dunkirk, I think, is another one that's like more about the filmmaking than the characters. I can't tell any of the fucking people apart in that movie i think um maybe that's on me but i've heard that criticism from everyone else who's seen it so maybe that's not on me i just think all having the same size white british dudes or whatever they all look the same it's very hard to keep track of who's who um one the famous pop star <laughs> i know the reason, styles is, so i know who that is but i the reason that i, I went with tell it. you any of the other people the reason that with interstellar just a bit over dunkirk for me was just that emotional investment like Dunkirk doesn't want you to be emotionally invested. It's not really trying to do that. <laughs> Johnny's dying over there. <laughs> Johnny, but, yeah. Yeah, Dunkirk isn't really going for like a character-focused investment as much as Interstellar is, and that's a little bit more of what I go for. You got the craft of Interstellar or of uh, Dunkirk. It's the ships and the space all look like inseparable from reality practically, but you also have the extra little bit of salt of emotion on top of that, which is what pushed mm -hmm. it up to the top for me. Yeah. All right. So are we moving on to my six? Is that what we're on now? Yeah. Yep. Sorry. I, uh, yeah. Wine, yeah. Wine, when, when red wine goes down the wrong pipe, that is not a great feeling. No. Um, 
All right, so Bobby, yeah, we're on your number six. All right, I think I, for another three-hour episode. So. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm actually going to get to talk for this one um, because I. So this is my my favorite movie by one of the best, if not the best, working directors right now, at least regarded, and that is um, Denis Villeneuve's Sicario um, from 2015. Yeah, not. A, I, I like it. Would have been probably in like the 25 to 30 spot, but it's not on my list. Okay. Not on my list either. Um, so That's my number 45. 45. So the just to start out, the cinematography in this movie is is mind blowing by Roger Deakins. I think it looks beautiful for a movie that shows so many real life horrors, um, because with all the gang life go- and stuff going on in, in Mexico. Um, I think it has really solid central performances. Emily Blunt's really good as the kind of your kind of your audience. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But they're you know the, the she's the audience kind of following this, and she. Like you, she's the main character and is being pulled through the plot, but really you're kind of seeing this, um, this story with, uh, you know, the, the Sicario, the hitman, uh, which you don't really re- realize, um, played by Benicio del Toro. Uh, that whole, his character in that movie, I was, I was a little confused for a little while, like kind of why he's there until that ending, which that ending blew me away. The him going to kill that entire family, really. Spoiler that alert. Yeah. What's that? Spoiler alert. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's limitations. It's past, right? It's and years. We're, we're talking about, but that's—I mean—that's—that's that's like the standout, one of the standout moments in the movie, um, and why it pushes it up so high is the way they pulled off that ending, um, and his character being so mysterious, kind of in the background. Josh Brolin is also really good. Um, I just this movie just engrossed me with the visuals. Um, I was intrigued by the storyline all the way through with the with the gang. Um, life and everything going on with the murders, the bodies they find, and everything with in, in that, and uh, it's just it's just one that you'll see a similar theme, I think, with a couple of my top movies that that aren't on other people's lists, like that are similar. But um, it just uh, Taylor Sheridan wrote this movie, uh, and he is involved in another movie that I have on my list, and I really really like his style and his writing, and then that he obviously directed. Um, uh, Wind River, which Johnny uh, has said I should watch, and I know I should watch, and because I want to see any, anything that Taylor Sheridan is involved with. So, no. um, yeah, I want to check out a show on Paramount, but I feel like it's probably not for me. Yellowstone. Is that Yellowstone? I, I kind of yeah, I've heard. It's basically a lot of forty-year-olds love that movie, is what it seems <laughs> like. Older, like parents, 40, 40 plus. Yeah. It seems like is, but I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a dad show for sure, or an older person show. Anything of Kevin Costner yeah. really is. Um, yeah, I don't. Sicario. I feel like I don't have any negative things to say on it. Like, there's no reason that it's like. I don't know when I'm looking at it. I'm like, I could have this higher, but also like, it just doesn't have the emotional connection to me than probably the other movies on my list. Um, but I think it's really good. It has some of the best like shootout scenes since Heat. I really love yeah. like. Even the sound, like down to the sound effects, I think are really good. And it's just a very um, well-acted, great directed, uh, you know, movie that has some really dark scenes in it. Like when they, you know, fight the house at the beginning and stuff like that. It has some some really great moments. Um, no, I just think as a whole, it's not just personal. not one that I go back and revisit as much as some of the others, even though I really love it. So 
I don't have anything negative to say on it. I understand it being high. If this was number one on someone's list, I'd be like, yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah. You know? But, yeah. It, there's a, the emotional part is what pushes it below the other movie that Taylor Sheridan's involved with on my list. But it's, yeah. Yeah, I'm but surprised it's, that it's one's great. so high. I know you know what it Me is, too. but yeah. But I, I love that movie, and you, Johnny knows I've I've watched that one a bunch of times. So, yeah. Um, anything else to say on this, either of you guys? I don't yeah. got much else to say. It's just when I when I was going through Villeneuve's filmography, everything else kind of stood out more than this one. So this one is a really good movie, but for me, it just kind of got lost in the mix of great movies from this really great director. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Like Prisoners has better um, performances and. Uh, I think I have Blade Runner 2049 a little higher on my list just because it had a lot more cool visuals that I haven't really seen anything before. Um, but I, the Danny Villeneuve's awesome. I know Joe and I did a list a while ago of like our top 10 working directors and he was Joe's number one. And I think I have three or four of his movies in my top 100. So I completely understand that. Um, all right. So that leads us to Joe's number five. I see him kind of laughing over there. I'm interested to see what this movie is. So my five is from 2016, and it's uh, Hell or High Water. And that's going to be pushed. Yeah. Wow. That's I'm excited to talk laughing. about that one. We have so similar lists, just in different orders. But yeah, a lot of movies. Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, so that leads me to my number five, uh, which is a one that only Tristan has seen, I know, on here. It's a little Korean film starring... Uh, the Walking Dead Stephen Yoon, it's called Burning. Um, really, really fantastic movie. Um, if you like a slow burn, I recommend this. There's no better. Um, I love a good slow burn, like The Drop and The Most Violent Year and films like that um, are all pretty high in my, in my top 100. But And then when they're done right and they have a good payoff at the end, I feel like um, they work very well. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this movie is about... Uh, this kid, he starts kind of seeing this girl, and then she goes on, basically, um, it's kind of like a missionary trip or like a uh, to go to work in Africa. And when she comes back, she's dating this new guy um, played by Stephen Yoon, and he's kind of like the great Gatsby. Like, he is rich, and you don't really know why. You don't know what he does. He's kind of a mysterious figure. Um, so the three of them, like, hang out for a while. You kind of get some weird dark secrets from uh, this character, and then all of a sudden the girl goes missing, and you don't know what the deal is. So the main uh, kid who has feelings for her and really you know, loves her is trying to find out what happened, where she went, what's the deal with Steven Yoon's character, did he do something to her? It's a great mystery, um, slow burn that you know leads up to a very tense ending, and the whole movie I felt like I watched this one really late at night, and it kept me up all night because I was just like obsessed with it. Like I, I could not turn this one off. And I just felt like from start to finish, I was completely enthralled in the characters and the, the plot. Um, and it was just very much up my alley. So this is one too, if I recommended to people and they, they weren't huge on it, I'd be like, okay, I understand. Maybe it's a little too slow for some people, but for me, especially for a foreign film, when some people don't like, again, dialogue heavy foreign films, um, but I really love this one, and Stephen Yoon's awesome in it. He plays a really great uh, character, and I think that's really all I have to say about it. It is a Netflix film, so it's on Netflix if anyone uh, was interested by it. But yeah, Johnny. 
So, Johnny's yeah, covered so much of the greatness of this movie. Uh, like I said earlier, if I watched something recently, I tried to just keep it off the list because I don't want it to be tainted by recency bias. And this is one that I just watched because I knew Johnny was talking about it possibly being on his list. So I wanted to watch it to be it's on my list for so long of movies to watch. And this finally was my excuse to watch it. And I'm so glad that I did. It's such a great thriller. Like, like you said, it is slow moving, but I think even in the slower scenes, I still felt on edge. I still felt very invested in the investigation, invested in the characters and wanting to see what the answers to these questions they were raising. Cause, and I've mentioned earlier that I like ambiguity in, in my movies and I like to leave the theater, not quite knowing what I got, but having my own interpretation of what I got. And this movie has just the slightest little, little spice of ambiguity by the end of it. That for me, it was, it was that perfect balance of you've got the text in front of you, but there's plenty of interpretations people can have of that text that are perfectly valid. Like if somebody wants, I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's multiple different ways you can think of what happened and either one is, is valid. And that's very fascinating for a movie for me that I think so many movies are very straightforward and very, what you see is what you get. And I think we'll mention some foreign films even more later in the episode, but I think Johnny in particular really likes foreign films. And part of what appeals to that for me is that you're getting beyond like the formula of Western movies. I think a lot of American movies kind of, you could almost walk out of the room and come back and you wouldn't miss that much because they all feel, follow the same beats. They, answer, they kind of feel very similar. And not even if they're outside of genres, you feel like you're watching a similar movie in terms of its structure, in terms of its beats that it's hitting. So I think what appealed to this appealed to me about this movie was just how much I got out beyond that formula that we see a lot in Western movies. So if you want, like you said, dialogue heavy, but if you want to get a little bit out of your comfort zone, if you've seen some popular foreign movies like Parasite and you want to maybe branch out a little bit more, this is probably, this and Shoplifters for me are the two that I would say go to after you've seen Parasite. So definitely recommend Burning. Yeah, shout out to, um, I looked up lists of just like the top 50 or top 100 Korean films of the the decade because I really love films from from South Korea. and Burning was in the top five on every list. It was either two or three. Um, and a couple that we'll talk about ahead of it uh, were on there as well. But Burning is right up there as far as like critical acclaim with a film like Parasite, which was a little more wide reaching. Um, Burning's just, just really, really good. And yeah, it's, it's right on Netflix. It's easy to go do or to go watch. And I, I really recommend it uh, to everyone. Um, and that leads us to your number five, Tristan. My number five is one that I think you guys have seen. Uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman from 2018. Wow, that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah I think it's a really good movie. Top 20. Mm-hmm. It's kind of high for me. I think a lot of people would put, the, like you said, it's a great movie, but I don't think a lot of people have it quite as high. But for me, I think it has such an unflinching level of energy and I think it Spike Lee does that very well. He weaves in real life themes and even real life footage to fictional stories and has that kind of narrative that drives you throughout this story, but also connects you to the real world that's happening outside of the story. And I think Black Klansman above any of the other movies, I think really unapologetically forces you to know what it's about. You know, I think subtlety has a lot of place in movies like i've mentioned earlier my list i have a lot of very intimate kind of quiet kind of quaint movies but this is not that 
but if you walk out of this movie and don't know what he's trying to say, you just weren't watching it. Because <laughs> by the time they get to the last scene, he's making it so obvious what he's trying to say. And I think there's a lot of bravery in that. Because I think that level of direct addressing to your audience can go over very badly. And I think we saw that in some of the reactions. Some people were very upset at this movie when it came out. But I think it, especially coming out in 2018, just a couple of years before we've seen this massive rise in civil rights in the last year, I think this movie addresses those themes so directly. And I think a lot of Oscar type movies that address race try to do it very lightly. The the good and bad is very black and white stuff like green book that kind of addresses racism, but it doesn't really ask any questions that are interesting. It just kind of says racism is bad. Let's not be racist. And I think this movie gets into the, the systemic problems of racism. It gets into the generational problems of racism in a way that, you just wouldn't see from other filmmakers. So to me, it's a testament to why we need black filmmakers to be making big budget, high profile movies, because we see black filmmakers make up, make up such a small percentage of mainstream releases. You know, I took a class in school that went over a lot of the great directors in history and Spike Lee was the only African-American director we covered in that entire class. And to me, that is not a reflection of black people being bad directors it's a reflection of the hollywood system rejecting certain ideas and certain people even not intentionally and i think this is a really great testament to what can be done if we're giving diverse names a voice in hollywood so for me that is just why it gets so high so it's very timely it's very energetic it's very fun to watch while still dealing with complex themes so to me it's just a peak peak movie yeah, and I think all of that is completely encapsulated by the fact that this lost to Green Book at the Oscars for Best Picture. Um, I think that, that is kind of perfect for a movie like this because it's telling you that these problems are still happening. And the movie made by Spike Lee about how, like, a real life story of racial tension and, and terrible things that happen and relating it to today loses to a movie made by a white dude who just wanted to make his father look better. Um, <laughs> like it's just very, it's very Hollywood for one of those films to be more popular than the other or win or get, you know, praise. And, and I think black Klansman will always stand the test of time. It's a timeless story. It'll always hold up. Um, the book is fantastic. Uh, it's the biography of uh, Ron Stallworth. I read this after seeing the movie but I haven't revisited the movie. That's the only reason it's not way higher on my list. I saw it in theaters, loved it, thought it should have won Best Picture that year, and then just never really um, went back and watched it for whatever reason. So I probably will because you just even talking about it has got me pumped up to kind of revisit some of it. I just remember at the end, like being on the edge of my seat, waiting to see what was going to happen, you know, with like, you know, the car bomb and stuff like it's just extremely tension filled. It's like Dunkirk does that with the clock throughout the whole movie as like our watcher, Sam mentioned that being a great film. This movie felt like that too. Like it has plenty of comedy. It has great acting. It has great characters. Um, and then it also has like extremely tense moments as you'd expect from a movie about a black person or a black cop basically going undercover to try to take down the KKK and Adam driver, and John David Washington are both amazing in it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's really a negative uh, on this one. It, it made my list as like it's like number eighty for me, but it's only because I've only seen it once. So I, that that's one that's going to climb the more and more I uh, see it. And I think it's available on Amazon Prime now for free on there. So 
um, for a subscription. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> free if you for pay free. for it. Everyone, yeah. For free if you can get someone's password. Everyone has. Who doesn't have time at this point anymore, though? You know, yeah, we've all right. sold out. Yeah, yeah. This exactly. this has been sitting on top of my pile to rewatch because um, I, I own it on Blu-ray. It's a great movie, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it might have. I, I don't know if it would have cracked my top 20 if I saw it again more recently, but it, it's really good. I I mean, yeah, it's just a good movie. It's probably my, it might be my favorite um, favorite Spike Lee movie. It's it's it's, his, yeah. it's easily it's his best movie since Malcolm X. I don't know which one mm-hmm. I can say is a better film between those two, um, but just looking at his filmography, and they're like 30 years apart almost. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, he's done some good ones in there, like in between there, like even like ones that are against what he normally does, like uh, Inside Man is a really good one. Yeah. I but love Inside Man. Yeah. It was it's nice to see him get back on track. Yeah, he did that. And and uh, he did a lot of movies with Denzel in the 90s, too, and stuff. And I think it was really oh, nice boy. to see him get back on track. This felt like his um, version of uh, The Martian with... Uh, What's his name? Uh, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Getting back on track, like after years of exactly doing the remake of Old Boy, which is the epitome of like what Tristan was talking about compared to Korean films versus Western films. You take this great story and this great movie of Old Boy, and then you bring it to America, and you have to insert things that literally ruin the movie um, and change things up because you think the audiences won't really get it in America. So. Um, I do think that's an interesting one just to see kind of the differences between American and uh, Korean filmmaking um, and what kind of sticks to, you know, the safety zone going back to that. But yeah, Black Klansman, great movie. I'm going to rewatch it uh, as soon as I can. I don't know if my fiance's seen it. I don't think she has. So maybe we'll, we'll watch that one together uh, and enjoy it. So maybe like Topher Grace as an actor better, like respect him more. (laughs) Just because, like, yeah, before I saw him as the guy from that '70s show, yeah. like he was bad in Spider-Man mm-hmm. Three and all this, and then he comes mm-hmm. out as David Duke in this, and you're like, "Oh shit, he's actually like." Yeah, he's actor. actually good. A lot yeah. of Topher Grace talk this episode. You know, know. You, you don't expect well, it. Topher Grace making, making <laughs> yeah. some appearances. Topher, um, he's like the Rebecca Hall of this episode. Um, all right, Tommy so Gun that type. was uh, yeah, that was Tristan's number five. Bobby's number five is Parasite, and now we are all into our top fours. Um, so, uh, Joe, what is your number four? Uh, my number four, uh, I don't know if it was on anyone's list, and I kicked it up from earlier, uh, but it is 2017's Logan. Not on mine. Yeah, no, but I do love the movie, but I yeah, just didn't quite make it. Yeah. Like we've talked about before, I'm a big lover of dad movies, and this is like the dad movie of superhero movies. It's just like... <laughs> A western, western, uh, exactly modern day western with Wolverine set in the like near future. Uh, I don't know where mine is. Chicken ass, and like I understand the villain problem of like none of the villains are like super compelling, but to me, I'm in there for like the relationship between you know X twenty three and. Uh, Logan. That's like more what I care about. Those, like for whatever reason, those are the type of movies I go for, and that's why I love it. Yeah, it's, I watch it's it like every like awesome. two months. Other than the awful, <laughs> other than like the awful movie theater experience that Johnny and I had the first time we saw this movie, um, that this really is I think has affected yeah. my my opinion well, on Logan. So, so I mean, I thought, and there yeah. were these really 
fucking annoying people behind us talking and la- and being obnoxious oh, like yeah, the entire fucking well, what it was it was a girl who was clearly drunk yeah. or high or both or something but she and and also just really excited to see the movie but every <laughs> time like in the beginning um anytime Wolverine like made contact with someone with his claws she was screaming like she was like in her own house and she did it constantly like sounds like it, me watching cats <laughs> yeah, but I don't think anyone cared if you uh, interrupted that movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that was louder than most. Yeah, you, you interrupt. Hey, cats, now, it, now it actually sounds like cats are singing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, no, I really awesome movie. Love the performances. Uh, best performances of any X Men movie by pretty much everyone involved yeah, sure. in the main cast. Um, Patrick Stewart should have been. I think Patrick Stewart should have been in contention to win best supporting actor for that. Um, I thought he was amazing. Um, and obviously Hugh Jackman, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, he, just being able to see Wolverine kill people, like how he, how it would actually look if a dude with metal claws was killing people was awesome. Like you finally got the R rated uh, Wolverine movie that you've, you know, always wanted if you followed X-Men. Um, and I love it for that, and I love it for Patrick Stewart and Daphne Keene and Hugh Jackman, um, the good version of Hugh Jackman. But I think this movie is held back for me because the villains are so, so bad. I hate that it's a young Wolverine. Um, I think they could have done – the X-Men universe is so huge. You could have done any other villains, and this movie would have been improved. And they chose, like, the worst way to go with it. And they're kind of side-plots. Like, yeah, it, like how easy would it have been for it to just be fucking Sabretooth? Like, literally just guess someone else and have them be cool and do it. You don't need to make an, a clone of Wolverine. I thought that was, um, that held it back, and I didn't care about the other villains that were extremely forgettable as well that were, like, in charge of the thing. So I think that hurts it as far as being as high, like, on your list for me. But I think overall as a, as a movie – it has everything I, I really went in asking for. I just wanted to see some awesome Wolverine kills. We got that. Daphne Keene is incredible as X-23. The, the scene, one of my favorite scenes of any movie is when she first, she doesn't talk the whole time, and then all of a sudden she goes off on him in the car. That scene is hysterical. I love that scene. And she is a she's a superstar. I don't need them to recast Wolverine ever again. I just need X-23. Daphne Keene as X-23 should be the new Wolverine in the MCU, like if they're going to bring X Men in, but they're not going to do that. But they should definitely do that. They might bring her back, um, but I I think they are going to recast Wolverine. But they, you don't ever need to do it. You have a superstar that's young that can play this character forever, um, and I, and I think they should just go that direction. Yeah, for me yeah. the emotion all works, especially the relationship between Logan and. Daphne Keene's character, I think that is the reason you watch this. You know, it's very much, a lot of these movies have like that older, gritty, manly, young kid relationship, and but just as like a crux. Like, I think of Iron Man 3, where he's hanging out with that kid for like the second act of the movie for a while. But this, that relationship was like the core of the movie, and it really re- revolves around that relationship. So I think that's definitely very strong for a superhero movie. I, before I even had a 4K TV, like years before, I bought this on 4K Blu-ray because I was like, someday I'm going to have a 4K TV and I'm going to want to watch this in 4K. <laughs> and I was right because 
the direction really shines. The visuals are really great. The action is great, like you said. You get an R-rated Wolverine for the first time. And I think, in hindsight, this stands out really well as like a finale to the X-Men universe. As we've seen it sold to Disney, I'm not sure we're going to be getting like R-rated, gritty action movies out of Disney. You know, <laughs> They do what they do, and it's entertaining, but they're not going to be pushing boundaries in a way that this does. So I think with time, this is going to grow, get higher and higher on my list. But I have a lot of the same problems Johnny has. I think the villains are very, very bad. I think Professor X's death could have been like the most emotional moment in the history of a decades-long franchise. But the fact that it's tied to this weird fake-out clone scene with Logan yeah. makes it disorienting and didn't and it removed all the emotional impact of that scene. Because I wasn't thinking, oh shit, Charles Xavier's dead. I was thinking, oh shit, what the fuck is this Logan clone? What's going on? Someone explain this to me. I wasn't invested single-handedly in the emotion of that death. I was more confused than anything else. And I think the villains, I won't really hold this back for me, but I think in hindsight, that might just lessen a little bit. And I think I can just enjoy it for the ride that it is. But for now, it's not in anywhere near my top 20. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, they could have gone a different direction. I think it would have been, they could have done an amazing scene where Logan himself not his weird clone has to kill professor x in that movie to save people i think that would have been uh they had the chance and the opportunity to do that and make it a really powerful scene um and basically do what they were trying to go for when he kills gene and like x3 which sucked they could have done that but done it well uh in logan and and they just missed out on that opportunity it's it's like the it's like the uh, Han Solo death in Force Awakens, like such a missed opportunity for something that should have been more memorable, and it just kind of lame and undercut. Um, especially with how good Patrick Stewart is, I would have liked some dialogue before his death, or him, you know, having one of his like aneurysms basically, and everyone around Logan is dying, and he has to do it to protect Daphne Keene or something. Like I think that would have been a really good, uh, powerful way to do it. And then the other thing, just real quick on it is. They established Wolverine really well in the other movies as the kind of reluctant father figure who was very protective over Rogue and over the students and like especially X2 and uh, and the first X-Men that you don't ever question the morals of it. Like you don't question like why would Wolverine be saving this kid? Like they've established his character very well. He's probably the one character they did really, really establish. Him and Patrick Stewart, they established very well throughout like the whole franchise. And this was like the like the encore of it all. Like that's what I love so much about it. I will say the one thing, I'm just not like as low on the villains as you guys are. Yeah. Really, like, I'm, I thought it could have been better, but it never like makes me like dislike the movie. Yeah, it doesn't make me dislike the movie, but I definitely, the, my my only flaw coming out of the movie the first time and the one thing that I look back on is the clone. Cause I don't mind Boyd Holbrook as the, whatever his villain is. Like, I think he's fine. Um, he was in yeah. Like he he was fine and he was entertaining to watch, but like if he had a better minion that wasn't a clone, then it, I think that would have made for a better better villain pairing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did it right in X two with uh with the the girl Striker creates like, yeah you know, with um you know someone who's very similar to Wolverine in terms of strength and power and abilities, but um is a different person. Like I think they could have yeah. just gone that route again and done someone else, but instead they did it with with Wolverine again, and I think that hurt it. Um, I wouldn't have minded, even though uh, X-Men Origins sucked, I wouldn't have minded them bringing back Sabretooth from 
from that movie. Um, what's his name? Yeah. Would have been a good way yeah. to pay it full circle with this sort of meta trilogy they've pulled off with Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think that Liam uh, Schreiber. Schreiber. Yeah, Liam yeah, Schreiber. That would have been, been that would have been cool because he's a great actor and he's like the best part of the X Men Origins movie. He's good in it. So, all right, number four, Logan for Joe. With the hot takes of Deadpool is greater than Logan, which I mean, some people are so different movies. They're, they're so like, different. I, I love them both, but they're so different. They both Logan, break Logan new ground in similar movie. ways. Yeah. I thought Deadpool 2 was way better than the first Deadpool upon rewatch, like, especially because you kind of established the character of Deadpool well in the first one, and then you kind of could do more with it in the second one. So I like mm-hmm. the second one better. Um, all right. So. Oh, wait, that brings me to my number four, mm-hmm. which is another Korean film. Um, it is from uh, Park Chan-wook, who did the Vengeance trilogy, which is like Lady Vengeance, an old boy, um, as well as uh, an American film he made, Stoker, uh, which is an underrated little film. Uh, this one is called The Handmaiden. It's from 2016. It's uh, Is it on anyone else's list? I don't think so. Right? No, it's not, Tristan? No, but I've seen it. Okay, so The Handmaiden is one that as soon as I got done watching it, I was like, that was a fucking masterpiece. And I watched it like two days later. Um, Incredible, incredible movie. It's told basically in three parts, has a lot of twists and turns. Um, I love a good movie with good twists. I love a good movie with great performances. Um, And it's like an erotic thriller. Like everything about this movie works for me. And it's just like, if they just like were like, all right, we're going to make a movie that's right out of Johnny's head, like that he didn't know he could do. Everything everything in this movie is basically up my alley. I love everything about it. Um, it's basically the the movie starts off as a plot of this uh, green woman living in Japan is married to this old dude, and they're super rich, and it's uh, a con artist takes this young girl and has a plot to kind of get the – a woman to fall in love with him and they have this handmaiden in there to uh, help convince her to fall in love with him. Um, And that's really all the story that you need to know going into it. And then it has different turns and twists that you didn't see coming. Um, And every part is great. It establishes the characters very well. Um, I think that's the best part of it. And it has really, really great, payoffs to everything it's also very tension filled at times when it needs to be um it has again like a good romance like uh, portrait of lady on fire uh similar in terms of some of the thematics uh, and themes in there with that um but with more tension and more action like a little more not really action there's no big fight scenes or anything like that but it's all about tone and the tone of this movie is just from start to finish incredible i love this movie really really well directed well we're going to discuss, spoiler alert, we're going to discuss Parasite. We've already talked about that. I felt like Parasite is Bong Joon-ho's uh, like masterpiece. This is Park Chan-wook's masterpiece. This is the director of Old Boy. You know, that movie is great, but this is his Parasite. Uh, so it's not quite as strong as, as Parasite, but it's just a phenomenal film. And I thought this one, as soon as I saw it, I knew how much I loved it um, right away. So... That's why it's so high on my list. I've recently watched it. Um, I didn't see it when it came out. I watched it within the last like year, but I've seen it uh, two or three times since then. So I was just blown away by this one. 
Tristan, I know you're the only other one who's seen it. What do you think of it? I think it's really, really good. The filmmaking is, is standout. You didn't mention that as much, but I think there's some really gorgeous cinematography, some really great nature shots, some also really great interiors. The lighting is really good. I think the characters are what brings you here, you know, and you really are. I was very, very compelled between the relationship of this handmaiden and the woman that she was serving. And it's, you mentioned the twists and turns too. And I think that really compelled me. Like if you like the twist of parasite, like there's a couple really big, you, t- you think the plot's going one way in parasite and then it's going some totally opposite direction. And you have to like adjust to that in your head. And this has that. Like three times. Three times, like literally like three times of just like an amazing, like, holy shit, I didn't know this is the direction it was going. Um, yeah, incredible drama, it, very compelling twists and turns. I have, I think the, I don't want to spoil it too much about where the relationships go between characters, but there are quite a few sex scenes. And I think in movies that in, involve LGBTQ relationships, a lot of the sex scenes tend to be very, especially between women, they tend to be very like, I don't know how to say it, fetishizing for straight audiences in a way where it's supposed to be like, oh, isn't it hot that these women are making out? And I think especially in the first scene, uh, the first sex scene in this movie, that is like one of the most well-directed sex scenes I've ever seen. It's not titillating, it's just intimate. You know, and you're getting the sense of these women exploring each other for the first time and exploring something that they know socially has been rejected, but that they feel this compulsion towards. And I think that that first sex scene was really, really good. But I think some of the other sex scenes tend to lean more towards the titillation side of it, where if I feel like it's sort of made to be hot rather than to be character driven and to be intimate. And some of the scenes I saw, I thought like no real person is actually ever going to have sex like this. <laughs> like some of the sex scenes are just not grounded as much as the first one is. So to me, it loses steam a little bit what, in that second half. What I, what I will say about that is this is, I kind of agree with you on that. And this director has a tendency to have long, like sex scenes, extended sex scenes in his movies. I mean, old boy has one um, that's more plot driven too. the reason that that one's in there. But this one, I think um, every time that there is a scene like that, this story is being told from basically someone else's perspective. And I think changing the aspects of the relationship or these sexual feelings or whatever um, was a was a choice because from the first time you see it, it's from the perspective of the one the one girl, and then when the story focuses on the other girl, things are much different. Um, and and I think that that is kind of it works for me that that is different. It didn't ever feel um, like fetishized as much as uh, um, like some other films obviously do. Um, for me, and yeah, I agree with you. It's some weird stuff. You probably would never actually have sex like that. But I think the it's like every part of this movie, it's basically told in three parts and every part is from different perspectives and the tone is a little different and the relationship is a little different in, in all of it. So that's what I what I really appreciated. Even just straying away from the sex and even just when you hear the same dialogue in a totally new like perspective it makes sense and it works both ways like i think that's what this one does uh does really well so this is one i'd recommend to anyone this is a very easy one to to watch even if you don't like horror films it's It's on on amazon prime Prime. it's on prime and hulu i think 
right, yeah, because I like a good con artist movie. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a perfect like if you like twists and and con artist movies, like this is for you. Yeah, everybody's trying to kind of one up each other. You never see who has the power until the end. It's it's very compelling drama, even if you're not into the sexual themes and that kind of stuff. It's yeah. it's just very compelling to watch. Yeah, every every character has their own. Yeah, yeah, every character has their own motivation, and you don't know what their motivations are. And as it's revealed throughout the movie, you're wondering, okay, now who is who's winning? Like who's going to win? Basically, it's it's very um, well set up in that way. I, and I like a movie like that. So that's uh, that's my number four. And Tristan, we're on to your number four. All right. I said before I was done with the deep cuts, but as I scroll up, I see a slightly deep cut. But I think it's one that you guys have actually seen. So hopefully it inspires a conversation here. It's 2018's Eighth Grade from director Bo Burnham. Nice. Yeah, so I really liked it, but it's not on my list. Yep, same here. Really good movie. I think I bought this for you, Johnny. Before you I think so too. Um, I watched it for the first time. The only, again, the only reason this one isn't like higher is because I've only seen it once. I really like a good coming of age uh, film, and this one was done really well. I love Bo Burnham, and I was really excited for him to do a film like this and show that he has range. This one has a lot of really tension-filled moments as well, which I like about it. So, like this one will be in my top one hundred. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's not like the same style of tension that you get in. A lot of other movies but like it has you on the edge of your seat like or it has you like you know like biting your fingernails in a way because you're just like uncomfortable to watch some of it which you don't always get like i think the scene um with the pool party scene is one of the most like even just that is like so unnerving to kind of watch like in a way that i've never really seen in a movie before this is one that'll climb and climb my list the more i see it but i've only seen it once so it just wasn't really um uh, like it wasn't as fresh into my mind, even though I saw it recently, I just hadn't seen it a bunch, but yeah, I think I that really will like help it. for sure. I think every time I've watched it, I've just liked it more and more and more, especially as the last couple of years, of the decade have gone along. I think that this movie is unique, not just because it came out in this decade and it's really good, but I think it captures a moment that could only be captured right now. You know, it was only two years ago, but it, or three years ago now, but if they made it today, it would be so different because the technology, the social media platform she's using, all that stuff is very momentary to 2018. So I think it captures a generation that is oftentimes belittled in movies. We mentioned uh, Inside Out earlier last episode about a, a movie that kind of just takes young people seriously. And I think this movie does that so well. It, all these minor problems that we think of as minor and all, like eighth grade relationship drama and, oh, is this hot guy in class like me and that kind of stuff. It's all told with like the scale of something like Black Klansman, like a very tense thriller. Every interaction is is it's comedic because these small moments are portrayed so largely that we, as people who are outside of this moment, know that it's not that important. But I think it portrays why these moments are important to people who are that age. I think people who are like 13, 14 often in movies are portrayed as like this very simple character, someone who's, oh, well, they're on the phone all the time. All they care about is social media. But this show is like the reality of that kind of a person. I think it shows Gen Z, who's up and coming right now. They haven't really done a lot in, in the film world yet, but they're just starting to break out. And I think that this movie gets into the heart of what defines Gen Z in a way that 
I think we'll, we'll when, we, when we look back on this decade, I think eighth grade is one that'll stand out more and more because it captures the decade. It captures what we are dealing with in this decade. It captures the problems and the consequences to our actions and the things that were only present in this decade. You watch this 10 years from now, it's going to be hard to relate directly to what's happening, but I think that you can relate to the characters. You can relate to their drama, to their tension in between each other, to uh, Kaylee's emotional struggle to fit in. You know, I was kind of a nerd, a nerd. You know, I watch all kinds of movies. I read comic books. I wasn't really the popular kid when I was around this age. So for me watching this again, it kind of brought me back to that era of feeling so awkward. Like everything that you do is the worst thing you can possibly do. And everybody's looking at you and your body's growing out weird. And some people in the class are hot and some people are not. And where do you fall in that? And why don't I look like the hot kids in class? And you're just that anxiety of growing up is captured so well in this movie. And plus the added tension of social media and the internet that makes growing up even harder in the modern world. I think it's just an incredible, incredible movie. And for so many debut pictures you've had this decade, I think Bo Burnham gets kind of forgotten because she showed a lot of unique style in this movie and a lot of eye for how to make a movie, not just from good shots or good dialogue, but all of that together, the music, the dialogue, the acting, everything kind of works. And I'm so, so excited to see what he does next. I am too. And, and like you mentioned about the technology and stuff like that, I, I think um, what's funny about it is, is Bo Burnham, when he originally wrote the script, when the characters are like texting each other, that was originally written in as Facebook. They were all using Facebook to communicate. And then Elsie Fisher, the lead uh, girl, when she read the script, tells him, she said to him, she goes, no one uses Facebook. So he changed things to, he listened to, the, the actors and the people of that age that were, you know, kind of giving the notes on it and really wanted to take the details of this is how kids live nowadays. Like it doesn't feel, I don't think this one will ever feel like dated. I, I think like, you know, even like we talked about chef, I think if Twitter ever became like Facebook where everyone's just like, yeah, we don't use this anymore. This is for parents. Like only I think chef, because that whole movie is Twitter won't quite hold up as well as this one because it doesn't rely on like the social media stuff it's all about texting and things like that and but it does capture the moments well but it captures what kids are actually using to communicate mm -hmm. with each other and bo burnham listened to you know his cast to kind of create that uh yeah, if that movie and, and was made today it would be that. like TikTok would be the focus of eighth grade because that's like all yeah. what yeah everyone dancing in the hallways and that <laughs> yeah but i yeah, think but it I think seems so universal like, too uh, yeah, I think his themes are pretty like, universal. As long, even if you're not living yeah. in this moment with this specific yeah. social media platform, I think fitting in and trying to find your place among people your age and your peers is something that anybody can relate to, even outside of the technology. Yeah, sure. yeah. the best coming-of-age films take a, take a theme of, you know, fitting into eighth grade, but all of those themes are if you start a new job, if you are in a new relationship, like a lot of things you can you can look at the, the dynamics of and, and um, translate it to other things. So, yeah, I respect that one. That That's one that's going to climb really high in mine because I love a good coming-of-age film, and this is one of the best ones that I've seen, but I only saw it uh, once. It's not one where I want to revisit a bunch like uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl since I've had more time to kind of do that. Um, eighth grade, I think, will we'll climb my list the more I watch it. Yeah. So that brings us, Bobby, to your number four. All right, so my number four is um, my second favorite David Fincher movie, and that is Gone Girl. Is that on anyone's list? No. Not on my list. 
All right, so uh, I know Johnny knows I liked this one a lot. So um, Gone Girl, as far as like a thriller goes, kind of just hit everything that that I like, I guess, when I was watching it. Um, the performances, um, especially Rosamund Pike, uh, but Ben Affleck, I, I give a lot of credit to him to kind of play like that aloof kind of not really realizing, you know, what he's doing wrong type of stuff. I think he plays that really well. Um, I think that uh, the story, which could, if you just told someone like the story and like what the twist was, um, in a different director's hands, it could have come off as as kind of corny and more like a um, like a TV movie kind of kind of twist. Um, and I think they pulled that off really well. Um, the investigation and everything, of, and following both her story and her husband's story. Uh, um, the flashbacks give kind of as you go, kind of the what this marriage was like and what. Uh, Amy Dunn, what kind of her psychological state was uh, and how it broke. Uh, and I really liked that. I'm never going to look at a wine bottle the same again. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, it, I, I think Johnny's looking at a wine bottle or trying to remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yep. But, no, I, but yeah, this one. Um, I wasn't. I didn't think it would be on anyone's list, but this is just one that uh, I really loved. I lo- it's it's haunting and cr- and like you know if you're in a relationship, it's like torture, you know, kind of deal with, with the ending and and everything that you're watching. But it's a uh, it, it just for me, I, it's it's the type of thriller that just hit me really well. I love David Fincher's style, and it worked worked for me. And the performances are to especially. Uh, Rosamund Pike, who I found to be a little bland in a lot of movies, was outstanding in this. I thought she was one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. She should have won Best Actress for yeah. this movie, without a doubt. She was phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love Gone Girl. It's my number 40 on my list, just because I, I think, as far as like tension-filled, like twisty movies, like we just talked about The Handmaiden, I think that's a much stronger, um, like more well-made film with a similar uh, tone. Um so if you have seen Gone Girl, I recommend The Handmaiden because if you like yeah, that, that sounded good. I want to watch that one. Yeah, you'll you'll really like it because basically take the twist of Gone Girl, like we said, but make and it do like it three or four times. times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, and, it, and you never get tired of it, and you don't always like see where it's going with it. Um, I think it's uh, but Gone Girl, especially like the first time you see that movie when it first hits that twist, you're just like, oh wow, like that yeah. was uh, that was really cool, like. I, I just I think it's a very well made movie. I, I think it's um very entertaining. I wouldn't I could never fault anyone for having it yeah. as high as you because I don't really have much negative to say. It's just yeah. I just think I've seen personally it's just I've seen some movies do it a little better. But other than that, like I can't knock this movie. I think it's just really really good and fun. I love Tyler Perry. Yeah, in that's it. Okay. it's he the only time I've ever enjoyed Tyler Perry. He's great in it. And for as little as yeah, he's in there, he's, but, uh, yeah, he's he he's very charismatic as the character he's playing. I think they kind of nailed all the casting, um, yeah, with everyone in it. So. And also, if uh, this is another one that Fincher's commentary is actually really good, and it's he's all he's kind of dryly funny in it, um, and he takes some jabs at Ben Affleck in a pretty fun way. Um, like he tells a story of how good he Ben Affleck is at at um, faking he's on a phone call. And he said, I would be worried if I was his wife <laughs> <laughs> and he was having some issues at the time. So, but yeah, uh, yeah but that was, um, yeah, but I he was definitely want to watch some, the commentary for pulling from some real life experiences. Yeah. Doing Perfect. Some of the things in that movie. 
for me, this movie, like Bobby mentioned, like if you give this to a different director, this feels like something that goes straight to HBO or like you watch it and you're like, that was fine. And then you go back to the rest of your life. But you give that to Fincher and he's able to find that through line of the characters. He's able to find that attention to detail that Fincher's known so well for. And I think especially that shines through in Amy Dunn as a character. I think in any other, well, in any other director's hands, but in many other directors' hands, that would be like a very hokey one note kind of character. But in this yeah. movie, you do kind of feel for her. You you understand these social expectations placed on her as a person, as a woman in this relationship, and also in her familial relationship and in society. You see these pressures that turned Amy into kind of the the unflinching, crazy person that she is in this movie. And I think that any other director would have made that character so one note that it's very, very impressive in this movie that she's not that. Yeah, and I just have to shout out. So G- Gillian Flynn is the author of the book. And it, because I knew Jen probably would not want to see this movie um, if she didn't read the book first, I bought her the book knowing that Fincher was making a movie on it and had to read it. And that so now Gillian Flynn is like one of her favorite author, authors and she's mad that she is now like taking such a long break writing uh, books because she's writing movies and stuff. But she is the same author of uh, Sharp Objects, which is a, a show on, um, on HBO. Uh, that got a lot of praise with Amy Adams. And then she also did Dark Places, which is what you can do with, with uh, which they made a movie with Charlize Theron. But that is what you, if you get like that story with a bad director, that went straight to TV and it was just like a bad movie. That's what so, I thought of too. Yeah. Like, this is what exactly. it would be if you gave it to somebody else other than a picture. Yeah. It would just be this like forgettable that, movie. She wrote- um, Did she write that shitty train movie too? Woman no, on a Train no, no, or whatever? No, that's, that's a very different. That's very different. No, she, but she wrote the movie- um, uh, uh, widows. Okay, that was fine. That was pretty. That yeah. got pretty pretty claimed, but it was kind of yeah. forgettable. Right, but she's um, she's now like because that movie kind of boosted her career. She started writing some movies, and that kind of delayed her books. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Gone Girl right. think, feels um, like he wanted to like challenge him, himself. Strolled into Lifetime's offices, grabbed a script off the desk. <laughs> like I'm going to make an actually good movie out of this shit. So. That's exactly what it feels like. That's a really good analogy. It feels like a TV movie just done so phenomenally well that it gives me like cognitive dissonance watching it that it should not be as good as it is. No, yeah, it's like the plot of every Lifetime movie and David right, Pitch's but it's done so well, and they actually pull off that twist that would be so obvious for most TV movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, we're hitting two hours and twenty minutes, so I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. move along because we're getting into our top. So that, or we do a short top three episode. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't yeah. want to wait another week to do this. We got to go to three yeah. hours. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, all right. I don't think there's going to be so, much conversation on my third one. So just because we're into our top three, Joe, we're at your three, baby. Surprise us. What do you got? Oh, I'm definitely going to surprise you. Uh, this movie's definitely not on anyone's list. We were talking about sports movies earlier, and this is one of my favorite sports movies of the decade. Uh, I don't really care about baseball, but I feel like this is definitely oh, one of the better baseball oh. movies. That's 2011's Moneyball. Yeah, this is a really good movie, just not not anywhere anywhere near a top twenty for me. But it's I really like Moneyball. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah I mentioned yeah, I, I don't like sports very much, but I liked Moneyball. It was very much a great behind behind the scenes look at like the what goes into making a sport, what it is, and that was kind of interesting yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, I like seeing Tristan some players like, that, like the like Carlos Pena and some like guys that ended up like on the Tigers and stuff like that yeah. being shown. It's pretty pretty cool. 
Yeah, with what Tristan was saying with Black Klansmen, with editing like the real footage in with like the fictional story, I thought Moneyball did perfectly. Anytime they cut away to like a character that wasn't a main part of the movie, like Johnny Damon or anything, and showing his trade, it was actually like real footage of actually Johnny Damon. They edited uh, footage of the games in with the storyline footage of the games. And I thought like, because I watch this movie probably like every three to four months just because I catch it on TV or I have the DVD and I'll throw it in. Uh, and like every scene to me, because I mean, it's Aaron Sorkin dialogue. It's just like, oh, I love this scene. Next scene comes on. Oh, I love this scene and this scene. Like all of the trades are, you know, greatly written. And just like the overall story of Billy Bean with the flashbacks of him being like not a good baseball player and showing with the analytics that uh, Jonah Hill's character came up with, like if the analytics, if they ran the analytics instead of just doing the eye test, instead of being like a first round draft pick, he would have been a ninth round draft pick and he would have went to Stanford to play football instead of uh, joining baseball and how his life would have been different. And that's kind of when he buys into Jonah Hill's system and starts um, you know, evaluating yeah, I, I, instead of just the eye test. I really love Moneyball. I think it's a great story. It's a good sports movie. It's my number 70 um, in my top 100. And my reason for it is I've heard the book does a better job with this, but my only criticism of Moneyball is the whole movie is supposed to be about analytics, analytics, analytics. These are groundbreaking. This is how we made this team. And then the whole movie basically focuses on the very against analytics winning streak that the team went on. I know it was a miracle run, but the movie itself, I feel like it kind of weakens the whole argument of analytics and breaking things down to the last cent. When then you focus on like the most miracle run of all time that really didn't have to do with analytics. Like if you look back on it, um, I think that kind of affects it because I'm a huge, especially for less for baseball. I don't really give a fuck about baseball. But hockey, I'm a huge analytics nerd, um, and just listening to analytics podcasts and things like that for for that, um, you can break down everything except like the the winning streaks and stuff are, are really up in the air. And I think your the movie weakens the whole argument that it's trying to do or the research that it's trying to show by focusing on like yes, it was an amazing part of the season, but that whole part of the season was less to do with analytics than the trades and the, the other plays that were made during the season. And, and I've heard that the book does a really good job getting into some of the other aspects and it doesn't only focus on the, the winning streak, but because that's the most cinematic aspect, they focused on that a little too much. And I just think it goes against everything of what they tried to establish um, with the other things. And I don't know if that makes sense to everyone um, completely, but it's yeah, kind I of what, I, what I feel like- about it. To me, the winning like the winning streak is like the encapsulation of like his system works. So like I'm okay with it. It doesn't really like bother me that it's like that's how the movie portrays it. But if you break down what actually was happening, it's not really backed up yeah. by like the analytics. And and that's like inside very inside baseball. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of my thing. Like my reasons for my only knock against it is very nerdy reasons. And I don't really knock it because I do love this movie. And I agree with you. If this movie's on, I'll watch it to the end. Yeah. No matter what scene it's at. I think it's fantastic. But that's really all I have to kind of knock it down for. I think it yeah. takes what could have been a very unique story and falls into um, movie tropes, which I don't think a movie like Warrior really does. I think Warrior does a good job of staying away from some of the 
some of the sport movie tropes. Um, yeah. And I think Moneyball kind of falls into that too much um, to be like as high. I don't think it's a very groundbreaking film. I just think it's very enjoyable from start to finish. Um, yeah. So that's why it's not as high. But I understand it. I mean, that's a if you go by strictly rewatchability yeah. and saying that's number three, like, yeah, that's one of the most rewatchable movies I've ever seen. Like, you yeah, can watch that movie. It's awesome in it. It's not like this groundbreaking yeah. Oscar performance, but he's just, it, it's like, there's no, it's hard to be more enjoyable to watch than Brad Pitt in that movie. He's, he's so charismatic. I mean, it's like you just watch yeah. him the whole time. Yeah. Like, yeah. that, it, like, I just have to say, it, like, same with Johnny. It's just so, it's endlessly rewatchable, which is, you know why it would make anyone's list so i understand that for sure yeah yeah i might have to rewatch it now that you guys are talking so much about it. i've only seen it once but you guys are talking so much about the rewatchability that i feel like i've got to give it a second shot also i love the uh right. spike jones cameo in it yeah just <laughs> yeah very random cameo but he does that he's done that in some movies he just likes People like Spike Jones. He gets along with everyone in Hollywood and just appears in things. Um, I think that's all we need to say on Moneyball. Great movie. We'll get into a discussion here because I'm very interested to hear, especially what Tristan has to say on my number three. My number three movie is um, the greatest action movie ever made, in my opinion. And my opinion is always right. I just watched Thank You for Smoking with Angelica last night. And... uh, (laughs) I relate way too much way with too uh, much Nick Taylor in that, that movie. <laughs> yeah, movie. I, uh, I, every, everything he says, I'm like, you know, that was uh, in the mid-2000s, so that didn't qualify, oh, okay. but that would be like, that would be like a top I'm 10. Say that, why me. wasn't that on my list, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the Raid 2 is my number three. Um, I think this movie's phenomenal. I, I love every single thing about this movie. I love every action scene. I love that the Raid, the first Raid, like I mentioned in the first episode, has kind of just enough plot to tell the story it wants to tell, and it's just them in, um, in, uh, in basically an apartment building fighting up top. And the, what I relate this to is this: when you have a successful first movie, when you have a very low budget and you kind of can't do a lot, the next movie, when you can do anything you want, will fall flat or be awesome. The Purge is the example of we didn't have the budget to make the movie we wanted, so we did a home invasion movie. We kept it very small. In the second movie, this is the one we kind of get to, you know, have a wider budget and do what we want, and it sucked. The Raid 2 for me is the opposite, where the first one they couldn't do what they want completely with it, so they made a small budget action movie, and the second one they had more um, of a budget to work with. They could draw out the plot, draw out the characters better have some more fight scenes in different um, environments. I love the prison <clears throat> fight scene in the mud, I think is one of the best fight scenes ever. Um, all of the, the fights, like in the warehouses and stuff. I love the car chase in this movie. I'm not a huge fan of car chases in movies. I don't really give a shit about car chases, like in Fast and Furious. But when there's dudes flying in and out of different cars and having hand-to-hand combat at the same time, like that is really cool. It's a lot of people doing their own stunts. It all looks great. I'm a huge fan of uh, James Bond, so I love, like, the Jaws and Odd Job type henchmen that have, like, the weird uh, ticks or weird weapons that they use. So I love the uh, uh, the Hammer uh, Girl and the uh, Baseball Bat Guy, and both of their fight scenes are good. This movie has a lot of good deaths, and it has a, a good undercover plot, and like we said, like, 
with the con man thing Joe mentioned. I love a good movie about undercover um, plots. I think this takes like this basically has the a similar plot line of The Departed, at least one aspect of it, but does everything else more entertaining. So I just find this one endlessly rewatchable. Um, and I'll throw it on anytime I want because I love it to pieces. So that being said, I know at least Tristan has something to say on this because he just recently watched it the other night. So what did, what did you think of uh, The Raid 2, Tristan? I mentioned a little bit before that action movies are not typically my thing. You know, I can appreciate the craft of making a good action scene. I can appreciate, you know, especially in this, in something like John Wick, everything is kind of in camera. You can tell they're at least trying to be more practical what they're doing. So I can appreciate the craft work that goes on here. And there's definitely some standout scenes. You know, you mentioned a lot of the good scenes. I think the kitchen fight is really good too. I think yeah. there's some standout action moments, but in my mind, I guess it's just action movies are not tip are not really for me. I guess like for me, there's a quality cap on what an action movie can be, and a movie like this and a movie like Mad Max Free Road, a movie like John Wick, they get to that quality cap. Like they're as good as I can see an action movie being, but for me, they don't pass into like the realm where I'm emotionally invested in what's happening. I'm just invested in the craft of them making these scenes more so than any of the emotional stakes, any of the themes, any of the characters, I'm just here to watch them shoot cool action. And if you're going into a movie wanting to see that, I can't argue against the raid two. I think it ups the ante of the first one really well. I think it's similar to like evil dead and then evil dead two, where they do like a similar idea to the first one, but they up the ante to such a ridiculously big level. This is like, this is Sam Raimi's exactly what he wants to do. Now that he has a big budget. And I felt the same about the raid two. Like the raid was almost like this. I, I feel like I could watch the raid on YouTube. With if there were like really good stunt guys who decided to make a good YouTube video to like show off how good they are at stunts. That's kind of like what the raid is to me. And then the raid two is like now they get to make a real movie, and it was good. I enjoyed watching it, but for me, it just doesn't. It's not something that resonated with me. It's not something I think I need to go back and watch again. It's something that I appreciated the experience of watching, but not something that I'll that'll stick with me outside of the experience. It's understandable. I, I think about it is like you talked about films that should be taught in, in film class. This is the action movie that should be taught in film class because it's way more unique than anything else in terms of all the choreography that goes into it. Every scene, like when something falls, you need it to fall in the right spot because you're trying to do this like fight scene in in one take and you need when this guy gets thrown onto his back, you need him to be able to pick that, pick that up to use it. Like all of the little crafts work that goes into it, I think gets forgotten about in action movies because it's like very stylistic and like, Oh, I'm just watching people beat each other up. But when I first saw this movie, I think I watched it as like, Oh, the action was cool. And then the more and more I've watched it, I've seen this movie probably 20 times. Every time I go back and watch it, I pick up more of the story. I pick up more of the character work. I pick up more of the, the performances. I think Iko Uwais really, really showed that he isn't just an action star. Um, as Rama, he he can actually pull off like um, some dramatic acting, which he didn't really get an opportunity to do uh, in the first one. Um, and I, I just think everything about it, like they just nail from start to finish. I'm not a huge action movie guy, um, but if an action movie is done well, then I really love it. The only negative I have against the raid two is it's almost ruined action movies for me because when I watch it, it's so good that when I watch John wick, I'm like, 
oh, they slowed him down. That guy's punching right into his hands. Where if I hadn't seen the Raid movies, I probably wouldn't even notice those things, and I'd like those movies more. But because of the Raid too, like and the first Raid, like because the choreography is so good, anytime I'm watching hand to hand combat in films, I pick up on things that I'm like, they could have done this better, or they clearly were setting this up. Like I just think it feels so. You know, obviously it's unrealistic, I think, to have like the fight scenes that they're having, but it feels very real in the movie that it sets up. Um, and I'm a huge fan of like my action movies that I really love are like Enter the Dragon and old Kung Fu films rather than big explosions and Michael Bay type movies. So I like that this is like the modern day version of that. This is the best version we'll ever get of like a Kung Fu movie. Um, so I, I'm a sucker for that. So I, I really, really appreciate that. I know Bobby and Joe. I know both of you have uh, have seen this. Um, yeah, I really like on- it. It's very. It's hard because I've seen both raid movies, and I usually watch them like relatively close to each other. So it's always hard to differentiate between what's like raid one and what's raid two. But yeah, I mean, in both of them, the action scenes are really good. Uh, I mean, it's hard to beat the action, like the fight scenes in raid one and raid two. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they're. They're just ama- amazing choreography and um, stunt work, and uh, like I love watching them. Uh, I think, yeah, it, it's um, it just didn't quite make it into like a top twenty for me. But I honestly, I haven't watched them nearly as much as you have. I actually, I told you to watch these back in the day. I yeah, like, yeah. and then you um, created a monster. Yeah, and I created a monster. I think so. You did yeah. <laughs> well, my my thing about it is. Um, you can have good fight scenes and stuff in movies, but when it comes down to the direction, it makes a big difference when you have a good director. And I think Gareth Evans is is a superstar. And I think anything he does going forward, I'm gonna I'm gonna line up to see. Like, and even like you can tell the difference comparing this to uh, when the night comes for it for us. I believe it's called on Netflix. Yeah, it has Ewaste. It's an Indonesian film. It's a different director. The fight scenes are still cool, but the movie itself, it feels like a watered down version of the raid. And you can kind of, when you watch a lot of movies that are similar, you kind of appreciate it more. And the more and more I've seen movies like this, the higher the raid two is for me. And I think for um, movies to be like in my top five, I had to feel like they were the absolute best of their genre. And I think this is the best of the whole action genre. So that's why it is um, higher, even though like, the Handmaiden, I think, overall as a film is probably stronger in terms of like story structure and character development and stuff. But The Raid 2 is, for me, far and away the best action movie ever made. So that is what gives it that boost to be at my my number three. Um, okay. So yeah, that is yeah. my three. We have a comment. <laughs> what the fuck is The Raid? Oh, that was me Sam, like no, a week ago. <laughs> Sam, watch the Raid movies. They're the best. Uh, they're the best action movies ever made. That's all you need to really know about it. It's about um, a cop who goes undercover to work for a gangster to kind of bring him down, the same way Leo does um, in The Departed. Um, but you surround that with epic fight scenes and epic car chases. So that's really all you need to know. That's my recommendation of uh, the Raid Two. So, Tristan, we're on to your number three. What do we got? All right, my number three, you mentioned trying to be like the pinnacle of a genre for the decade. And we talked a lot about debut filmmakers, a lot about voices in horror. So I think, of course, number three, we've been waiting for it for a while. It's Jordan Peele's Get Out from 2017. 
There it is. Awesome. That was yeah. my number nine. And my number um, seven. Not on my list. It would have been like my 25, 26, somewhere in there. Somewhere between 20 and 30. This movie yeah. is just like insanely good. Like I watched it again yesterday just to be prepared for this conversation. And I think pretty much all the flaws that I've had kind of like washed away. I think, of course, it's been talked to death about the commentary of this movie and that, but I think it stands out really well when you compare it to other movies that try and do similar commentary because often we see villains similar to how they are in Black Klansmen. They're like these ridiculous rednecks. They're like the most outwardly racist people you ever met. And of course, they're the bad guys. But, you know, when you meet hit uh, the engaged woman's father and her mother, they seem like normal people. Like they seem like otherwise good hearted people who might have some prejudice in them, but aren't outwardly racist. They're people that probably would have voted for Obama for a third term. They probably voted for Joe Biden, <laughs> you know? And I think that this shows in a way that's pretty much, it's very ahead of its time. I know it's only a couple of years ago, but these last few years, you've seen so much change, especially in the last year where you've seen a lot of awareness about, going beyond that very limited understanding of racism and getting to like the person who's nice to you on the street, who's dating, who's the da- dad of your girlfriend who just seems like a normal white guy could secretly be a racist. And you don't really know that unless you get deep into his heart and soul. And I think this movie captures that tension really well in a way that only a black voice probably could. And I think if you give this similar premise to a white guy and he tries to make it, it just doesn't come off as well. I think everything pretty much works in this movie. I had some problems with the third act when I first watched it, but I think the elevation from hypnotism to literal like brain transfer is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but I think it works in this movie. That's kind of it, the whole time in that first like hour, you think you're ahead of it. You're like, oh, of course they're hypnotizing people, hypnotizing the black people to be like servants, and you think you know where it's going, but then you don't. You get to that last act, and it's it gives you another little bit of a twist that you weren't quite seeing. So I think that gives you a great ride. Jordan Peele, we talked before about how debut directors are kind of defined by if they can keep that streak up. And he had Us, which was in my list. It was great. And I'm really excited to see what he does next because I think if he can keep up this quality as a filmmaker, he's going to be one of the greatest voices out there. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I I think this one um, separates itself from... It follows, I think, as a movie that will hold up if the director has a great career. Get Out was, no matter what Jordan Peele did afterwards, Get Out would hold up as like one of the best movies to come out um, of all time. Because I, I think um, this is another one that I agree with you. I had some problems with it the first time I watched it. But upon rewatch, I've watched this movie over and over. Um, I've watched the director's commentary. I, I think every dynamic that you can watch this one um, becomes more and more uh, exciting. You understand more of it. I like that it goes into, like you mentioned with black Klansmen, like the, Oh, these are obviously the most racist, like evil people. Even there are different levels of racism. Like everything doesn't have to be so to put it in this term, like so black or white, like so black and white, like even just changing, uh, you know, the daughter's bringing home a black boyfriend. So the dad changes the way he talks. He changes some of the words he uses. He he has to bring up, oh, I would have voted for Obama. You know, like those things are levels of racism that like people don't really get. Like people don't think of that as like the same things. And this movie has a lot of that um, and portrays it really well. I think every single time I've seen this movie, I've uh, um, 
grown to appreciate Daniel Kalua's performance so much that I think if we did a um, list of the top performances of the decade, he would easily be in my top five for Get Out. I think his performance is so well kind of understated when it needs to be, and all of the acting he does without much dialogue is what kind of defines for me like what a great performance is, you know, compared to what just a great script is. I also think also one of the most underrated scenes of all time is um, Allison Williams. Is that her name? When yep. she is on yeah. the phone and she's acting all scared, you hear it in her voice, but her facial expressions are, yeah, I don't give a shit. That's something that has never been done before on screen. There's not one other example of something like that. When Jordan Peele wrote it, um, he said, I didn't think there was any chance this would make it in the movie because I didn't think it was possible. And then she worked and worked at it and they nailed it. And that scene, I think that scene alone could be put in a film class of like, this is um, groundbreaking filmmaking. Like this is something that has never been done before and will probably never um, ever be done again. I, I think that's a very underrated uh just level of acting that people don't really get the first time you might watch it through. But the more and more I've seen that movie, the more and more like things like that stand out. And I think everything down to the last detail of this one, again, is just so well directed again. He's the perfect person to take over the twilight zone. Cause it feels like an extended twilight zone or black mirror episode, but done in the best way possible. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of things that just like immediately became part of pop culture and like immediately yeah. became memes, like in a good way, like Look the, Stanfield like, too. Yeah. Like I would have mm-hmm. voted for Obama for a third term was like immediately just like a thing you saw online of and like the sunken place was just like a phrase that became part mm-hmm. of pop culture immediately. Yeah, that's just a thing now people refer to like Wakanda forever, like the sunken place. Yeah, it's just like, a thing yeah. people refer to and everyone knows. And even if you haven't seen like, the movie, you know what exactly what they mean. Uh-huh. Um it just it, it's iconic. It's become yeah, it is. It's part of pop culture now, and I don't think that's gonna go away. Yeah, like they'll interview um, like NBA players or like whoever, like sports figures that like lose a big game or something. And they're like, yeah, I feel like I was in the sunken place. Like that's just like such a common term now. Like it's just like a a thing that will always stand the test of time. So that's what, uh, yeah, I think Tristan, uh, I can't fault you for having it as high as you do. That one was really hard not to put higher on my list. It made it into my top 10. So it's saying a lot for it, Um, but it's my number nine. But that's one too. Every single time I watch that movie, I love it more and more and more. So um, that one, all right, we're hitting at two hours and 45 minutes now, and we got a few more movies to talk about. So, Bobby, let's get into your number three. All right, so my number three is one that Joe uh, mentioned earlier, and I think is number five, and that is uh, 2016's Hell or High Water, um, directed by David McKenzie, again, written by Taylor Sheridan. Uh, fantastic performances by um, everyone involved, uh, Ben Foster, especially, and Chris, P- Chris Pine, uh, Jeff Bridges. Um, this movie just hits, I mean, I guess, I, like Joe, like it's, it is kind of a dad movie, again, this one, and I, and I do love those types of movies uh, when they do it well. Uh, it, it also hits on the financial crisis, that, the uh, housing crash that I was really interested in, and we all, you know, we lived through it. Um, and uh, the whole concept of stealing from the bank to pay off the, to pay off that bank with the money that you stole, like I really like that concept. Um, you get emotionally invested in the two um, in the two brothers. Um, I think Ben Foster is such an underrated actor. Like I think, like at least in pop culture, like just no one really knows who he is, and he should be a lot bigger. He's amazing. 
Um, Chris Pine is showing like, you know, since Wonder Woman, everyone's kind of fallen in love with him, but uh, he was kind of just like the forgotten Chris for a little bit. He was just Star Trek. Um, and this showed me that he could really act and carry a movie like this with dramatic weight. Um, and then Jeff Bridges, there, there's so many memorable scenes in this movie that just like little moments that don't really, um, to me, like they didn't need to be there, but they just build character or build the, the, um, just the, the whole scene and the, the state of Texas and where they are, like the scene in the diner with the waitress asking oh, how they want their steaks is such, a, such a fantastic scene. Um, even just little moments of Jeff Bridges talking with his partner, um, in the hotel, drinking Shiner Bach, Yanni. Um, like, it's, uh, I just right. love this movie. It has an emotional, like, you feel every death that happens in the movie. I won't, I won't spoil this one because I really think everyone that, because this one I think is very, is not as watched as a lot of the bigger movies that we've, we've talked about. Um, it kind of got lost in the shuffle, but it, it's one that I really love. And I know, Joe, you do too, so why don't you talk about it? Yeah, it's really good. Like A, a lot of good quotable moments, like the diner lady of what don't you want. Yep. Uh, and then uh, Ben Fo- I love the Ben Foster line where he goes into the gas station and he asks for a Dr. Pepper, but then they end up not having Dr. Pepper, so he gets him a Mr. Pibb, and as they're driving out of the gas station, Ben Foster just yells out, only assholes drink Mr. Pibb. Yep. Uh, <laughs> And the, yeah, like we said, with the whole housing crisis thing and then that, and then the bank, like, knowing, like, the bank basically figuring out that the brothers robbed them, uh, but mm-hmm. then them kind of being okay with it. You know? Yeah. And then, like, the whole thing of it captures, like, small town, like, America perfectly of, like, with the son, like, playing football. And, but also, like, the dad kind of just being shitty and. Uh, the Chris Pine's character kind of just being shitty, like a shitty dad of just, and like working on the farm and all that. It's just like really, I feel like it's a good, like realistic portrayal of, it's never heightened. They're never like robbing this. It's not like Logan Lucky where it's like, okay, it's like small town America, but it's heightened and that would never happen. Like, I feel like everything in this movie could legitimately happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm just picturing all the scenes in this, just even when they're, when you see them robbing the back, like through the window of the diner, like back behind, yeah. like Ben Foster's character running into that bank and all that. Yeah, this this just movie hit on all levels for me. Um, it's a modern day Western, which they don't really make a lot. If Even if you make a Western nowadays, they set it back, you know, in, in older times. Uh, and I think they pulled it off really well. My dad yeah. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a dad movie. Um, I think... I, I really enjoyed this way. one. The score, I have to shout yeah, out, really is really good. I really um, enjoy this one uh, for a lot of reasons, and I think my only criticism of this one, again, like I think everything about this movie is good. I think Chris Pine is great in it, but I would have liked maybe someone who looks a little more rough around the edges. I think Chris Pine is maybe a little too pretty to play the character that uh, is being portrayed, especially compared to everyone else in the town. Um, like with the waitress, she looks like someone who'd live there. Chris Pine looks like a movie star. I think even, especially after watching Hell or High Water, or uh, sorry, um, when, what the fuck? Uh, Wind River. The Jeremy Renner movie. Wind, Wind River. River. Um, I think especially after watching that, I would have liked to see someone like Jeremy Renner maybe in that lead role. I think he has the look of, I would believe him as like the, the football player, but he looks a little more, um, kind of has a little more wear and tear on him that I think the Chris Pine character needed. Um, but 
that's the only negative thing I could maybe yeah. say about this. But to, be really fair, to be fair, to be on that point, there, there's a lot of uh, pretty boy type quarterback players that come out of Texas, and that like you see that look all the time. So I, I, I mean, that doesn't bother me in movies nearly as much as it does to you, unless it like really stands out. But um, I just, I really like Chris Pine in this movie, and I think it actually made sense for me why he could be, you know, actually an attractive person and not, you know, just kind of a regular looking dude. Like, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with like, he, he maybe looks like he could have played college football in Texas, but again, I feel like the ones who are doing the things that he made are maybe the ones that aren't as fortunate with the looks. Like he seems like someone who could walk in with his uh, charisma and get any job he wants just because he has that privilege. And I think that is something that is, a, a maybe a problem in this country. Um, but when you are charismatic and you look good, it's easier to get maybe uh, jobs over other people. And I would have liked to see him maybe be a little look more Southern and be a little more believable for someone that can't walk into any job and charm the person into hiring him. Um, I think Chris Pine kind of has that look like, I, I don't believe that his character can't make a living for himself um, just based on the world uh, that we live in. But that being said, that's not like a big criticism. It's just like a little thing about it that kind of bugged me. It's just like a little small thing. I think um, he's he's really good in it, though. I don't want to fault yeah. how great he is. That is the performance that I was like, oh, Chris Pine can actually act, you know. Um, so I'm glad he's in it. I wouldn't change that. I just think it could maybe have looked a little better to me if it, if it was someone else. But I don't want to take that away from him because he's awesome in that movie. Yeah. But it's just not in my top like 10 because of that. All right. So that is Bobby's number three. We're getting into the nitty gritty. Joe, your number two. All right. My number two, I think, was a kickback from one of uh, Bobby's earlier movies. And that's uh, another sports movie, 2015's Creed. I was waiting yep. for it. Yeah. It's like a good it. one. It's, it's probably yeah. the sports movie that could have easily broken into my 20 of all of them. But I did you watch it again. Very emotional experience to watch in a theater. People were yeah. cheering as if it was a real fight but not much else to say yeah. on it. It was a great experience to watch, but it didn't quite make it to my 20. Yeah, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. In the, I would have enjoyed that final fight a lot more in the theater if I didn't have to pee so bad, but I was not going to leave. I was like sitting, I was like rocking back and forth in my seat. I had to go so bad. But yeah, like the, it's like, if someone was like, oh, they're going to reboot Rocky and it's going to be Adonis Cree, you know, uh, Apollo Creed's illegitimate son and Rocky's going to train him. You'd be like, this movie is going to be, bad like it could be rocky five levels of bad and it's like if someone was like oh i love this movie better than rocky it's like yeah you i mean it's arguably on par with the original rocky movie and potentially even better and uh like the the one take fight against leo the lion which is like the middle fight uh is really good the locker room speech from Stallone that everyone loves is great, but that's not even my favorite Stallone part. My favorite, I mean, my all-time favorite moment in maybe arguably just any movie is the scene in the corner before the final round when Adonis's eye is all swollen shut and he can't see, and he's given basically a speech to uh, Adonis of like, hey, I'm going to stop this fight. You know, I should have stopped this fight for your dad. And he's like, no, you don't stop the fight because I got to prove it. And Stallone's like, prove what? And he's like, I got to prove I'm not a mistake. And then it delves into the whole speech 
and Adonis like stands up and the, uh, you know, classic Rocky music kicks in and it's just like the most hyped I've ever been is that moment right there. Yeah. I love Creed. This is so good. It might, it's, it's damn close, but it, I think it, it might be my favorite of the Rocky franchise. It's this or Rocky one. Um, yeah. But yeah, Creed, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is endlessly charismatic in that leading role. Um, like you said, I think if you told this, it's like, it's kind of like the Fincher thing with Gone Girl. If you told me the plot of this movie without knowing the style and direction or anything like that, I would have thought it would be just kind of a forgettable, like, ah, that was a weird attempt that they, it just didn't work. But yeah, so good directed so well. Um, uh, Stallone's great in it. I think it's one of his better, like it's his best performance in years for sure. And it's, uh, one of his best performances as Rocky is a different Rocky. I love just the little comedy they threw in of him being old at this point, like the, the cloud joke and things like that. Like, um, but yeah, this, it was, like I said, it was my, what what was this? My number 15, uh, that could even climb. Uh, I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, This one again is just one that I saw in theaters and I loved it. And for whatever reason, I just haven't, um, who has more movies, Joe or John? Um, I should bring out my whole box full of, movies in my storage unit and we can compete i have so many (laughs) and and also my other room (laughs) i used to keep track i used to have like an imdb list and i would add all the movies that i bought and i was at like 600 um and that was years ago so so yeah i have no idea i have a lot um even like on my shelves it's not like everything that i that i have but i have some in boxes i have some duplicates or ones that i don't really watch or ones that i'm like i can get rid of these but we do a lot. So, but to get back to Creed, this is just one for whatever reason I've only seen like twice. And I love it to death. So really? I should watch it more. Um, I saw it in theaters, loved it, watched it once since then when I bought it on Blu-ray. And for whatever reason, I just really haven't watched it um, a lot. It's not one I've gone back and revisited. And I feel like that's the only reason that it's not super high on my list. Like it's in my 40s, I think because I, I love it. I, I think the only thing that my, again, my one negative thing I can say about this movie is while it worked for some people, I hate the whole motorcycle scene. I think that scene is uh, terrible and doesn't fit with the rest of it. But I've heard people be like, Oh, I thought that scene would have been corny, but it was great. And I'm like, okay, like if, if most people liked it, maybe I'm in the minority, but I think yeah, that I scene with- takes me out of that movie completely. Yeah, I was with you, and, like, I thought it was weird, but then, like, I was reading some stuff, and apparently, like, dirt bikes and, like, ATVs are, like, big in, like, urban, like, Philadelphia area and, like, the lower-income Philadelphia area, and that's, like, a super popular thing people yeah. do, and they wanted to, like, include part of that, so I'm like, okay, so it just doesn't bother me anymore. Like, if yeah, that was, like, like in Atlanta, more... I would be like, this makes no sense, but apparently it's just, like, a super popular thing there, so it's just like, okay. It's definitely a thing, and, like, I've and that's, like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of all the Philadelphia teams. So, like, I follow a lot of people who have said things like that, like that is similar. But I've also heard people from the area be like, yeah, but, like, I don't know what they were thinking making that scene as long as it is or do what they did because it was a little weird like that. But, you know, like, you have that. I just think that scene doesn't work as well as, like, the Rocky running up the stairs scene. Like, and that's what they were going for. And I would have liked them to kind of hit that a little better. But again, that's my one negative, and I, and I I thought about that a lot less the second time I watched it than the first time I watched it, 
And it's going to be something that I notice less and less the more I see it. Um, yeah, the, like the one take fight scene is the best boxing scene in any movie. That scene's awesome. So yeah. that's really all I got to say about it. But yeah, very yeah, enjoyable yeah. film. I'm excited for the third one. They said uh, Michael B. Jordan's making his directorial debut doing the third one. So yeah. that'll be very interesting. I think this is an interesting franchise for people to kind of launch off of because Ryan Coogler wasn't super on the radar and he made this and then suddenly like you couldn't get enough of him, you know, Black Panther after this. And mm-hmm. yeah, only thing I want another movie, I'm... another movie that I was, it was at least in consideration for my top 100. The only reason it might not have made it is because it's a hard watch is oh. for Station. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a fantastic movie. And Ryan Coogler, the only reason Stallone kind of agreed to um, Creed was because he saw Fruitvale Station. It was like, this dude can make movies. So, you know, that yeah. when you're a great filmmaker like Coogler, I wish he might be stuck with this franchise, but I can't argue with the decisions he's made since then, obviously, with Black Panther. But um, I'm very excited to see uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan make his directorial yeah. debut. I think this is the right franchise for him because he already knows the characters very well. And shout out to uh, yeah. it's Zoe Kravitz in this. No, this it's, uh, no. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson is awesome. so good. She's, so she's, she's in so many great roles. She's great, like breakout actress of this decade. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love her as Valkyrie in Ragnarok. Yeah, I mean she too. is good yeah. in that. Yeah, the only thing right, I hope so, for for the third one right. is they go in like a new direction and it's not like clubbing done or some shit like that. Yeah. All right. We gotta, I, get my number, we gotta get moving. My number two is the best American film of the uh, decade. And I have a feeling it's gonna be a couple people's mm-hmm. or just one person's, maybe number one, is Ex Machina. That is my number that one. That is my two. All right. So that's Bobby's number one. Yeah, I've seen this and my number two. I've rewatched these the most out of any movie these, this decade by far. I put it on all the time. Uh, yeah, I'll let you talk on it first since you brought it up. But yeah, I love Ex Machina. Yeah, again, with I mean, with Ex Machina, I just love every single thing about this movie. I really like it. I like that it's like a lower budget sci-fi movie and everything works. It's some of the best special effects that have ever been put um, on screen. Oscar winning. With which it was just for rightfully so, and when you won, um, when you watch like all the behind the scenes, you're even more impressed by it. This is one I I watched the director commentary. I I watched all the behind the scenes things I can find on it. Um, I love that they they uh, chose um, Elisa Vikander because she used to be a ballerina, and they really wanted to find someone who has like the elegant movements that she uh, could make as the AI and. Again, like Christian was Christian was talking about with a couple of these movies, everything down to the last detail like that. Like we need to find someone who moves like the yeah. character I want. Like everything was thought out well. The performances are insanely good. Um, I my uh, even like um, Sonoya uh, Mizuno who plays Kyoko and she doesn't really have any speaking lines. She's great in it. Just um, as the other AI. Uh, character yeah. like with with like no dialogue and, and, he does it well and like tristan said i'm i'm a sucker for amb- ambiguous endings and this one has that like it you know you don't know what happens now with her in the world i love um from start to finish this movie just completely enthralled me in theaters and i've watched it a lot since then and i just it's just everything that alex garland does for the rest of time i'm gonna see i, I love ex machina so much um 
And that was when I walked out of the theater and I was like, that was a freaking masterpiece. Like it's my number one and number two, especially like I needed those to be ones immediately right after I watched. I knew it was a masterpiece. It wasn't one that I had to rewatch a couple of times to really understand it. So that's what I felt about Ex Machina. And I've only loved it more since uh, watching it again. Yeah. I mean, Oscar Isaac is so good in that in a very different role than um, I feel like a lot of people see him. Like you don't you don't picture that for him. Um, he's weird and he's he's a little awkward, um, but also charismatic. It's, it's kind of weird that he, he, he like pulls that off. Um, Donald Gleason's really good. I thought he I thought he was a fine like a good solid actor before, but he really leads this well. Um, I mean, it's really it's the story, it's the precision of the acting. Uh, yeah, like you said, Alicia Vikander's physicality in the role is is amazing. You have a one of the best dancing scenes in a movie. The best. Um, yeah, and then Joe and, uh, I did a, Joe and I did a list of like our top ten favorite scenes of all time in movies. Mm-hmm. This was back in quarantine before we started the podcast and stuff. And one of mine in my top ten was the dancing scene in Ex Machina. I that scene for whatever so reason funny. I love it so much. Like I. I just could watch that scene over and over again on repeat, like for days. Like, I think that scene is so good. Oscar Isaac really, really pulls you into the the character that he, he plays even better than he does in Inside Llewyn Davis, which is another incredible performance. Yeah. And you don't know the entire time. Like you, you think you're following the, you know, Alicia Vikander's character. Um, you're, you're on the side of her the whole time, but really she is manipulating and trying to get out of there and you don't, and they pull that off really well. All those interview, um, the testing scenes are enthralling. Um, it's yeah, I love it. I, I'm, I'm going to watch any everything that Alex Garland does going forward. Watch Devs, Annihilation's great. Like I'm, I'm just I can't wait to see his career take off even more. I'm very excited to see what he does next. I had Annihilation on my list. I think it's just a bit of a more for me movie than Ex Machina. I think it's more ambitious in what it's trying to do and say in the way that it says it. I really, really like Ex Machina. When we came up with this idea for the top 20 of 2010, I thought, oh, of course, this is going to be in my like top five, maybe. And the more I watch other movies, the more I rewatch stuff, it just slowly, but slowly, slowly got lower and lower. And I can't fault people for loving this because there's so much I love about this. You guys have mentioned the performances. You guys have mentioned the themes, the, ambigu- the ambiguous ending, the kind of zany tone where you have this crazy dance scene in the middle of this movie that's like awesome <laughs> i love when a movie can just pull something out of its ass and it's like a really weird moment that somehow works in this totally different movie so i'll give it props for that and i think we've talked on and on about debut films just this uh decade and i think this is probably like the shining example of a director who showed what he was capable of in this first movie and is hopefully launching a big career out of that between devs and between annihilation he's really found like a niche in this kind of sci-fi genre. So I'm super, super excited to see what he does next. For me, what knocked it down a little bit was that I don't think its themes are quite that unique. I think it talks about AI in a way that AI has been talked about a lot already. Like, is it too dangerous to have? Is it going to destroy humans? Is it going to overthrow its makers? And that kind of a thing. I love that it talks about that, but I just don't think it quite went as ambiguous as deep as i wanted it to go that would have broken it into the 20 for me but i can't argue against it it's still a great movie to watch what i what i love about the ai themes in this one is usually 
when movies have those themes, it's okay. The AI are going to take over. Like we can't have AI become too powerful because they'll take over. They'll become more powerful than us. What I thought this one did well was really get into, okay, but if we get AI perfect, will they have emotions? Will they have emotional connection to things? Will they, um, you know, will they want to get out and see the world? Will they have the like dreams? Like, that's what for this me, one does better than anything else. I so, think for me, her captures that theme a lot better. Like you see the AI is like a human almost. Like they have their personality, they have the desires, they have their dreams, and you're supposed to question like how much of that is programming versus reality. And I don't think that this movie quite gets to those questions. It kind of dips its toe in them, but it doesn't really use them as much as I think Annihilation uses a lot of its sci-fi to portray really complex themes and I just think this doesn't quite go as deep as I would have wanted it to go. And I think just because of the smaller scope of this one, it was a very, sorry, it was a low budget um, sci-fi movie that they obviously focused a lot of the budget just on special effects. But even watching like devs makes me appreciate um, Ex Machina more because you really get an understanding of how much Alex Garden like is interested and understands this stuff. So when you, Watch as soon as I watched Devs, I went back and watched Ex Machina, and I just caught a lot more of the themes that like Devs showed and more of the um, technological talk. And I was like, okay, now I understand a little of this better and more of the elements and what it was kind of going for. That I I I think every time I see this movie, I appreciate it in in new ways. So yeah, I think that's why so so high for for Bobby and I. It's obviously his number one. Um, but we are at three hours and eight minutes, so we got to get moving. Um, Tris, uh, that leads me to my number two. Is that what we're on? Yeah, no, that was my number two. Tristan, was, you're, number you're number two. Tristan's two. All right. Speaking of get moving, high energy movies, uh, my number two, it's been brought up before on the episode, uh, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash from 2014. Mm. Love I it. think this is oh, yeah. incredibly high energy. It's so much fun to watch, but it also has like that dangerous theme of how far do you go too far when you're creating art like how if you give up everything you have in life to be the best artist possible like is it even worth it because who is he sharing the success with if he's just successful alone i think it asks questions without fully answering them i think the conversation he has with jk simmons towards the end of the movie where he has that iconic line of no no nothing is more dangerous in english language and saying good job or something along that and i think a, a weaker movie would tell us if he's right or wrong on that statement. But this movie shows us that sure you can be the best artist possible if you give up everything else you have, but is that worth it or is it not worth it? And that's a personal choice that you have to make. And I think this movie portrays that choice really well. I think the characters are very interesting. The music is incredible. Obviously uh, uh, he learns how to play the drums just for this movie. So a lot of what you're seeing him do is realistic drum playing. I think this is very intimate. It's very high energy. It's the last, the finale of this movie is like something out of like Endgame. It's like the, yes. it's like an actual, like, this could have been an action finale. It's so good. It's like these two dueling minds facing off in this finale. It's just incredible. I wanted to stand up and cheer. I watched this in the theater. It was just me and my dad. We snuck into it without paying for the ticket, <laughs> but wow. it was awesome. And I was so glad I saw it. The indie movies. 
For an indie movie, too. Wow. We, we watched Nightcrawler, and then we were walking out of Nightcrawler, and we were like, hey, Whiplash is starting. I've heard that's pretty good. And we walked in and saw Whiplash right at the Nightcrawler. It was a pretty wow. draining night. That's, yeah, that's some tension there. But this this movie... What? what? Huh? You go. Yeah. I was just gonna say that yeah, this movie's so good. I was before you were gonna. I, I I was like, I need I need to bring up the finale of this movie. It's so satisfying. One of the most satisfying endings you're gonna get in a movie because you have this villainous portrayal basically by J.K. Simmons, and it's and he's fantastic and pushes him and pushes him and pushes him, and he's trying to screw him over. Um, and you just get that satisfying. No, I'm I'm doing this. I'm doing what I want, and and you're gonna go with it, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's the ending so good. The music, the score, the drumming as the score for a lot of it. Um, it's definitely my favorite performance um, of uh, of Miles Teller. He's so good, and and you know if he because J.K. Simmons won the Oscar, but he doesn't get that Oscar if he doesn't have someone great to play off of in that movie. And I think Miles Teller did that really well to lead it. Um, but yeah, this was my number nine. I think it was on. Everyone like, was on everyone else's or just one other person's list. Joe, Joe's, it's not on Joe's list, um, but it was my number six. The only reason this didn't make it into my top five, um, where I went with Burning over this, I was really deciding between the two. I think Burning's runtime gives it a little more breathing room to tell the story it wants to tell. Whiplash isn't even two hours; it's like a hundred and seven minutes. I think that is the only thing that kind of. Um, I mean, I love it. It's my sixth favorite film of the decade. But I think if you gave this film another 20 minutes to work with and expand on um, Miles Teller in the band and in the class, I would have liked to see more of that. I, I think yeah. I think the only thing I like, again, like I love this movie from start to finish, but it gets from point A to point B a little too quickly. And I would have liked a little more development in between that. And that's something I've noticed more upon rewatch than when I first saw it. Yeah, I would Whereas, say, like, I would yeah, say Joe, you go. Yeah, because like to me, like part of it, like I like it, but for me, the only reason I enjoy it is more like J.K. Simmons' um, performance. Like, there's obviously good aspects to it too. And I was gonna say, if they did what you were saying of like add more of of those aspects to it and add more of a runtime, I think that might have been the difference of being not on my list to being on my list. Because I did feel like the end was like. Not like the third act, but getting like, like and I felt like the car wreck yeah. kind of like took me out of it to a degree. Like it just felt like out of place, and I don't know if they necessarily like I don't know if it was the way it was shot or what, but it always just felt weird to me. But yeah, I, I think cool. with it, um, like last time I watched it, I really noticed this because um, otherwise, this probably would, maybe would have made like my top three. But last time I watched it, it gets to the car crash scene, and I'm like holy crap, we're already here? Like, there wasn't yeah. enough time before yeah. that. I would have liked 20 more minutes before the car crash scene to kind of develop the dynamics of the, like, the class and the um, him being kind of on top. I think it does. there's never, like, a really moment in the film where he feels on top until the end. Like, I would have liked him to kind of establish himself in the role as, like, the first seat, kind of um, maybe they do a show and it goes well but he's still going through this uh, this stuff. He kind of feels on top, and then the car crash stuff happens. I would have liked a little more of that um, to make this one really, really, really stand out as a top five. But, I mean, it's literally my number six. So, like, you know, I, I love it. But, again, um, all right, we got to kind of move along. Bobby's number one was Ex Machina. So your last film on your yeah. list is your number two. What do you got? 
I think I've actually rewatched this movie more than Ex Machina, but it's definitely not a number one. This might be a more of a personal one of how much I enjoy it. But uh, my number two is The Nice Guys. Shane Black's The oh, Nice Guys. Wow. Wow, that's very high. Yeah, right. But this movie, the more I watch it, the the better it gets. And I loved it the first time. But there are, the humor in this movie is so smart and repetitive. Like, they... They have so many beats in this movie that you'll miss the first time around and it'll become like a laugh out loud moment early just because you've noticed it the second, like the second time through. Um, I, I think that uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are, are a really weird pairing that work really well. And Ryan Gosling is like, is definitely the standout um, between them, but their chemistry is, is great. Uh, and Gory Rice is the standout overall. I think of the movie. She's the, as the, do- uh, the daughter, she's amazing. Um, and I want to see her do more. She has, you know, a smaller role in the Spider-Man movies now, but, um, this is more rewatchability for me. It's kind of like Moneyball for Joe, where I can put this on at any time. I've recommended this to a ton of people when I saw it. And, uh, so like Jen and her sister, Kristen and some of their friends, like I had them all watch it and they, they thought it was really good too. Um, I I think it's too bad because this could have been a really fun franchise if it made money, but they somehow for some reason released this the week right after uh, Captain America Civil War um, and it got completely lost. Um, they tried to pitch it as this buddy cop summer movie. Um, and if they had pushed it to like September or like August, I think it would have hit a lot better and maybe, um, you know, had a fun franchise going of a, of this, of an old school buddy cop movie. Um, but I, yeah, this one is definitely more personal for me. Uh, as far as like, I knew no one else was going to have this this high, but I, I, I can watch this anytime. It's just, yeah, I lo- really love this movie. Yeah. I mean, I really like it too. It's, I mean, you could definitely tell Shane Black put like a lot of thought into every single moment of this movie. And it makes sense. Cause I think it started out as a pilot for a show that never got picked up. So he just expanded it into a movie. Yeah. And they were going to try to make a show out of it afterwards now. Cause they're trying to salvage it because people did like it so much. It just made so much it, like no money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy this one a lot. It's very enjoyable. Right on my list, I think this one is like, it might be in the 40s or 50s, but it's one spot behind, um, I think, Sicario, which we mentioned um, earlier. But I really love it. It's very rewatchable. I don't think as a film it's like mind-blowing enough to like put it as like a top five because I didn't walk out thinking that was a total masterpiece. But it's more rewatchable than like Burning, per se, like which is my number five. Um, I, I, if I'm going to put on a movie right now to just enjoy, it'll be, it'll be, um, the nice guys for sure. I think it's very funny, but I think again, if I can point to another filmmaker's film as something I enjoy more, which I can with Shane Black, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a stronger version of the nice guys. Um, it, it's not like high enough to make it to, but I would never fault anyone for it. I, I just think having seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a bunch of times and also the nice guys, both of them are very enjoyable. I just think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is like a little more, um, just like a, just like a little better. I, I think it has yeah. some some funnier moments. I really like Val Kilmer in that movie and Russell Crowe. I think for me in this is fine, but anyone can kind of do that character. Whereas like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think they nailed all the all the casting. So that's yeah. my only thing. But I and I love this one, and I could never fault. You know, I can't fault you for having it number two. I completely understand. It's way more rewatchable than a lot of the movies on my list, but rewatchability was maybe a lesser factor for me than, than some um, as far as a lot of the movies, because I like 
walking out of a movie and just immediately being blown away. And while the nice guys I was entertained the whole time, I didn't walk out thinking, holy crap, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, so that's the only reason it's not like on my list, but I love it to death. I could watch nice guys anytime, any day. Um, and that's one of the first ones I showed Angelica when we started dating. I was like, oh, this is a great movie to just watch together. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So, just a, a, quick, a great movie. Just a quick note. Um, I actually saw Kiss Kiss Bang Bang after The Nice Guys. Yeah, it's same, one me that, too. And, um, I think that makes a difference. I had seen does. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang a long time ago and had seen it many times before seeing yeah. this. And I, and I liked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's a fun, good a good movie. But it did for me, it was not it, – it, to me, it's not close to The Nice Guys. But that's just a personal preference. I've heard that is good. I have I've seen Kiss Bang Bang. I've not seen the Nice Guys, but I'm gonna check out the Nice Guys. It's been on there forever, and I think you guys just pushed yeah, it over the watch. edges. One to watch. Yeah. All right. So that completes that completes Bobby's list. Um, Ex Machina is number one, obviously. Nice Guys is two. Joe, I know what your number one is just by process yeah. of elimination, but uh, Joe, what's your uh, number one? Yeah, my number one is uh, 2013 from 2013. It's Martin Scorsese's uh, Wolf of Wall Street, a uh, story of uh, Jordan Belfort just fucking over a lot of people for their money. Number one. Yeah. It's, it's really uh, good. Yeah. It's yeah it's three that's, hours. My that's my seven. Um, yeah, that's uh, Bobby's 10, and that is not on Tristan's list. Yeah, it's, you know, it's three it's hours, one. but it feels like it's 90 not. minutes. Uh, it flies by. Uh, yeah, it just goes by. Great debut performance by Margot Robbie. Like she had been in some other like TV shows, and like she was in an Australian uh, soap opera. But like this is like the first time like anyone really knew who she was. I think it's one of Leonardo DiCaprio's better performances. And like for my, you know, it's, I think basically everyone kind of knows what this movie is. They've seen the trailer, and I think, and if they haven't seen the movie. One of my main things I've thought about for a while is I kind of think your favorite Scorsese movie kind of determine. I mean, there's outliers too, and there's like, but for like the average person, if you were in high school and college in the early 90s, your favorite Scorsese movie is probably Goodfellas. If you're in high school and college in the early 2000s, it's probably uh, Departed. And if you were in high school and college in like the early 2010s, it's probably Wolf of Wall Street. And yeah, you know, I mean, getting closer to 2020, so it'll be or, interesting to see if or, it's like that kind of mob movie now. And what if, like, or it's Raging Bull, which is his best yeah. movie. Yeah, well, I Raging said there's outliers, and I was saying more for like the casual yeah. movie. Person. I agree. Yeah, this was another one. As soon as I like while watching it, I was entertained the entire time. Right afterwards, I was like, holy shit, I love that movie. I've watched it a lot since. It's another one that anytime that's on, like, you can just watch that whatever scene it starts at, you can watch it um, and finish it. I think the best part of it is the comedy. Um, I think it would have been a maybe like closer to like my top two or three. If it got a little more into the lives it ruined or how heinous the, the crimes were, I don't think it really um, ever establishes that it kind of, uh, I understand when people say that, it kind of glorifies the actions that they're doing. But I think if you're watching this movie and you're a sane person, you understand how terrible these things are without those completely having to be spelled out for you. I just think a little more of Scorsese's dramatic aspects could have been put into this one. But I mean, it's my number seven. I love this movie. It's very entertaining. 
But I think the best thing it has going for it is the entertainment value. And I think the story itself, I would watch a whole nother movie made by another director that doesn't have any comedy in it or comedy in it. That is, that tells the same story and also be entertained by it because it's a very um, crazy thing that happened. Um, But I, I love the way Scorsese tells it because you don't usually get movies like this that take such terrible real life events, but make such an entertaining product out of it. And, um, some people fault it for that, but I think that's just strong filmmaking. I think I think you can be entertained by a movie, but not be like, "Oh, Jordan Belfort's cool." Like you can watch this movie and then be like, "Dude, he's a piece of shit," but that movie was great. Like yeah. the the there's no scene I've ever laughed at more um, in theaters or home than than the lewd scene when he is trying to get <laughs> in and out of the car. Like that scene is just acting wise, it's it's uh, Leonardo's uh, best performance. Um, maybe right like a inch higher than um uh Django Unchained and the beat but oh. <laughs> yeah and uh, what did he great yeah i want to talk for a second to someone who didn't have it on my list yes yeah, someone who doesn't have it on the list you give your thoughts on it i you brought up some of the criticisms, Johnny, that people have towards this, and I kind of fall in that camp. I think it's incredibly entertaining. It's like hilariously fun to watch that loot scene is like one of the hardest times I've ever laughed at a movie in my life. And there's just some the debauchery that takes place in this movie is just so so just viscerally entertaining. But I don't think it quite gets anywhere close to where it wants to get with the drama. I think when I watched this in theaters and he gave that speech, like, I'm not fucking going anywhere. Like half my theater was clapping. And I was like, are you guys watching the same movie that I'm watching? Why are you cheering this on? And in my career field of of videography, I've had either the pleasure or displeasure of interacting with a lot of extremely rich people who made a lot of money in, in, in housing crisis related things and that kind of stuff. And I've met people who are like Jordan Belfort in real life. And I, just from that experience, I think that so many people got the wrong idea from what this movie is. I know people who are like inspired to be Jordan Belford after watching this movie, like people who watch Mad Men and they're like, Don Draper is the coolest guy. And I think this movie just goes over the line between making him look cool and making his behavior look dangerous because they don't, like you said, they don't even try to address the real consequences of his actions. It's just, you're supposed to know that. And I don't think people know that going in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this one, like going back to a film we, we mentioned was Thank You for Smoking. I think I think Wolf of Wall Street is maybe a stronger film overall, but I think Thank You for Smoking does a better job humanizing a character doing terrible things. Like I think yeah. Nick Nail are, they show like, oh, like aren't I, like he's the narrator of the film. It's his story. He's talking about how cool he is and how every girl he can get, but you have more of like a, a fall you have his scene with the Senate of him having to say, you know, if my son turns 18, he wants a cigarette, I'll buy him his first pack. But you can see the pain that that kind of has in his eyes. You don't ever get those humanizing moments um, in uh, Jordan Belfort in this movie. But I think it works for the story that it's telling very well. And I think as far as an audience goes, if you see it for what it is, like, you know how terrible these things are, Um you understand that, uh, but I do think if you're not like the brightest person, you're like, dude, Jordan Belfort was cool, like, and that's like a little problematic, I'm sure, but like, I enjoyed it, and I feel like more intelligible um, film watchers understand what this uh, movie was was kind of doing and can kind of get past that in a way. Um, but you know, it's my number seven. It didn't make my top five because of some of those reasons, but 
it's one of the most entertaining movies I've ever seen from start to finish. It's three hours and I'm entertained throughout. It feels like it's an hour movie. Like I feel like I could watch a, a movie twice as long that's, you know, telling the same story. So, and we all know that, that Scorsese's uh, best movie is After Hours. So you guys should watch After Hours. It's definitely my favorite of Scorsese's movies. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, honestly. I've seen most of his films, but I don't know what the fuck After Hours is. Um, all right. So the number one film, Tristan and I, this actually worked out perfectly because Tristan and I, I think have the same number one. So on yep. the count of three, Tristan, one, two, three. Parasite. Parasite. Of course, Parasite. Parasite. Is the, yeah, and there Parasite's wasn't even the close for me. Ever. Like There was nothing that yeah. even... I thought could take the spot compared to Parasite. Like I love Whiplash. I love Get Out. I love Eighth Grade. But like Parasite just exists on like an entirely different level. <laughs> Same. I agree. I, I think Parasite is such a masterpiece. I think in every single way um, that you can make films, like any way you look at it, Parasite's great. I think that encapsulates it because that's maybe the only movie that all of us have in our top tens. Um, looking at it, yeah, that's the only it's, movie all of us have in our top twenty. It's yeah, it, it is, is. yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, Joe Joe has it at seven. Bobby has it at five, and Tristan and I um, are smart, and we have it at number one. Um, but leaving the theater, just blown away. I couldn't believe what I just saw. Everything about my watching a film. Um, this one, this hits everything. It has black comedy. It has um uh good drama it has uh tension it has a great twist that you don't see coming it's nothing that you can guess it's just and going into this one too not knowing anything about it made this one so great like this one i won't spoil for anyone because if you haven't seen parasite you need to see it it is phenomenal it's the best thriller ever made i think parasite in terms of what'd you say i think it said i think it's on hulu it is yeah. on Hulu, um, and Parasite, it, um, I don't know, just everything about it. Bong Joon-ho is the best working director in Hollywood today. Um, I've seen almost his films, except maybe his first, uh, one of his first two, but everything he's done is great, and this is his masterpiece. And the whole time I was watching it, I was thoroughly entertained. When I left, I was, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I've watched it so many times since because I just love everything about it. I, I love it to death. Um, you have, not even to mention, it has a social aspect and social themes that will always hold up. It is yep. when the when you have the super rich and the super poor, it's going to pit the super poor against each other. And while this movie, this movie does similar things to... Um, the Wolf of Wall Street by bringing comedy to uh, maybe like hard things to watch. This one really kind of uh, hits the dramatic elements more that I would have liked to see from Wolf of Wall Street of, yeah, the, like I liked the dynamic of, okay, it rains and this, these people's house is completely ruined and it cuts to the next day. And the rich lady is like, Oh my God, I'm so thankful for the rain last night. Like the grass was dying. Like, this movie has so much of that that is so fantastic. The social elements are phenomenal. This one, um, I was listening to, uh, if anyone's a fan of Anthony Jeselnik, his podcast uh, with Greg Rosenthal uh, is fantastic. And they were talking, and I was just re-listening to old episodes because I had nothing better to do the other day. And they both had this as their best movie of 2019. And they both said, like, yeah, this is probably the best movie of the decade. Like, 
this one walking out of it, I was like blown away. And this is the only one the Oscars got right all decade of the best movie of the year. So yeah, for me, this I, I, was out of this whole list. This is the only one I can say is like a perfect movie in my mind. Like there's literally nothing about this movie that I don't like. Every scene I think is crafted so well. I think every shot is really well. Every character is developed in such an interesting way. And I think it develops its themes, its social commentary without putting like blazing flashing lights saying this is what we're talking about. Isn't poverty bad? Isn't wealth inequality bad? Like you can theoretically watch this movie and just think like, oh, wow, that was a good like home breaking thriller movie <laughs> and not necessarily dive into the thematic elements. And I think that makes it appeal to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are turned off when they see something like Black Klansman and they're like, oh, this is just going to be about how terrible America is right now or about how divided we all are. And I think there's some truth to that. Like some people don't want to watch movies necessarily to feel bad. <laughs> and I think Parasite has such a great mix of tones. It's so tense between these divided families, but there's also, like you said, a lot of good comedy, a lot of lighthearted moments. And I think that we talk about ambiguous endings too. And I think this has a bit of an ambiguous ending of who was right in the situation. You know, what, what are the solutions to this kind of a problem? And I think that's questions we're asking just a year later in 2020, when we've seen COVID like completely change the way everybody's life functions. And when you mentioned that rain scene, that's when that came back to me. I watched this recently and it reminded me a lot of what we've seen in the last year. People who's lost their businesses, lost their homes, people who have lost family members and friends dying to coronavirus compared to people who are like, Oh, it's kind of sucks. I have to be stuck in my mansion all this time. And I can't, hang out at Hollywood parties and yeah. it's very infuriating. You, I feel like that guy, I feel like the driver driving this ridiculously privileged rich guy. He doesn't even know how privileged he is. And you're just watching these people for no real reason have humongous parties just because it's hard for them to not. And I think this movie captures that tension beautifully. And we talked too about how we rank movies. And some people talked about rewatchability. I think, Johnny really got into like how well it is this do what it tries to do and like how well it is to find the genre that it's made in. And for me, I tried to think like how well does this push forward uh, the medium or how well does this push forward the genre? How well does this do something that we haven't quite seen before? And I think Parasite is one of those movies that can literally be taught in a film school. Like this is like Hitchcockian level filmmaking that I think is just going to stand the test of time so tremendously. And I think. If I were to do a top list of all time, Parasite has a shot of being number one. It'll at least be in the conversation for best movies that I've ever seen. So it's just yeah. incredible. I can't talk good enough about it. <laughs> if you let me go, I'll just go and go. So someone else should probably yeah. go. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was like, you go, you go, you go. I was just going to say, I've never been happier to see like a best picture winner win best picture because I'm like, my whole thing for best picture should be like, what movie are they going to teach in film school like 25 years from now? And I was kind of happy either with Parasite or 1917 winning because I think both of them will be like shown for different reasons, but Parasite probably more so. And I was just excited because there's so many different things going on in that movie. The way it's shot, the performances, you know, the themes and like the connection to like cultural relevancy and all of that going on in that movie was just done so well that I feel like it's definitely going to be a movie that if you're not, if you're like trying to be a director in Hollywood or just be some type of filmmaker or anything, like you need to see this movie. Yeah. And yeah, this me, one, when this one, when this one best picture, I audibly, like I yelled so loud. <laughs> I woke Angelica up. 
she was asleep in bed and I yelled so loud when this one cheering that she had to text me. And I was like, all caps, like Parasite won. <laughs> yeah. Especially like a year after uh, Green Black Book Klansman won. lost to, to Green Book. And it was Book. like, yeah. well, they've completely given yeah. up on anything nuanced and interesting. But then this was yeah. just so good. Yeah, this is one. Honestly, the more I watch it, it probably will climb even from five. Um, but I've only seen it one time. But it stuck with me, and I can remember the entire movie, you know, front to back, basically. So it's it's so it's such a good story just storytelling wise um it's i i mean i don't want to repeat everything we're at three and a half hours but yeah if you haven't seen parasite at this point please go watch it don't look up anything about it before you do you don't want to know anything going into this movie um i avoided it like the plague because i i didn't have a chance to see it for a while um but it's it's a great movie and like and like i said it it may move up i, I don't think it can surpass ex machina to me, but it could probably get up to number two. Yeah, this one, um, when I first made my list, it was in January and I had this in my top 10, but I was like, well, recency bias, maybe, you know, I shouldn't have this so high, but giving myself time to breathe, giving myself kind of a year away from it to kind of be like, to rewatch old movies and to see things like, and to rewatch Parasite. I've seen this movie four times since I saw it in theaters and it's one that some movies, after you know the twist, it doesn't hold up. Like, you go back into it, and you're just like, okay, I'm waiting for the twist. This movie is so entertaining, and the tonal shift, once the twist happens, really just nails it and keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, I don't think there's a better trailer that I've ever seen than this movie. Um, after seeing it, going back and watching the trailer, like, it nails the tone without giving anything away. It has a scene where, in the movie... It's literally just um, the dad following up the lady on a escalator. It cuts that scene so well in the trailer that it looks like he's like following her, but really he's just like carrying her bags and it's just like a normal scene. But in the trailer, like it really nails the encapsulation of the tone without giving anything away. Um, and, and I think when a movie is like really, really well made and really good, the trailer kind of knows to do something like that without having to give away as much as possible. Um, and this one again, like, I just, I was blown away by this. Bong Joon-ho is an incredible filmmaker. He's done Memories of a Murder. I recommend to anyone who hasn't seen that one. It's a great, great detective movie from the early 2000s. Mother um, from 2009 is fantastic. He did Okja. He did Snowpiercer. Um, those are both in my top 100. He's a phenomenal film director, and he's the best working director today for me, and it's not particularly close. And Parasite is his masterpiece. Um, I feel like it's the epitome of his career. It's everything he's worked up for. He's done similar themes in movies before, um, worked with some of the same actors before, but this is one of the most unique films I've ever seen that will always hold up and stand the test of time. This movie in 40 years, you can watch it and it will be one that, that holds up. It doesn't have anything that will be out of date or irrelevant. Um, I feel like a movie doesn't specifically need to slap you in the face with uh, its social aspects. You know, uh, people, real quick, anytime anyone brings up, um, you know, oppression and crimes against black people and minorities in this country, they, you know, the defense for certain aspects of people is, well, look at all the black on black crime. Look at all the minorities killing each other. And this movie really says all that without needing to slap you in the face with it of, when you have the super rich and the super poor, the oppressed people are going to have to 
um, do terrible things to each other to try to make it in the world. And that is why you have a lot of that. Um, this film has a lot to say without, um, you know, needing to show you news clips or anything in it or um, come out and say it directly. And, and I think this uh, is an important film for, for reasons like that. I think um, you can do that uh, in such a smart way. It's just one of the best directed films I've ever seen. I was happy he won Best Director, and I've never been more excited over a kind of meaningless Oscar win um, in the in the grand scheme of things. But I like when a movie wins like this because now everyone knows it as, oh, Parasite, that one Best Picture. People know what this movie is because of that. I hate when movies that don't need the boost of the Oscars win. That's why, like, I love La La Land, but I was happy Moonlight won because people could you know, be like, oh, Moonlight, that one best picture, I've heard of that, and they go out and check it out. And maybe you love it, maybe you think it's fine, but I love when movies like Parasite win because it's a foreign film, it's something that most people probably wouldn't really know of, but anytime I bring this film up, people know about it because of the Oscars. So I like when films like this win. I think that's important. So I think that's really all, all uh, we got to say. Um, I think generally we can agree if uh, we made our own Top 20 lists with everything combined, Parasite would be our number one because it's the only one on all of their lists. Um, yeah. yeah. But this was exciting. Parasite. This was fun. Yeah. Um, and I can uh, I can say that The Witch will not make the list. But <laughs> um, this was really fun, guys. We're almost at four hours. This is the longest episode we've done, so maybe uh, – if anyone does make it to the end of this real quick, I'll plug um, my top 100 list is on uh, Letterboxd uh, at jdupe2393. You can also find me on Twitter, and I have my list uh, pinned on there. Obviously, you know my 20 if you listen to this, but if you want to check out other movies on my list, um, check out my Twitter, check out my list. Yeah. I put a lot of work into it. Yeah, it's a great time to watch uh, movies, so I'm glad we got this whole big, big list of movies to watch. Uh, and we got a really good idea of each person's individual tastes. We all had crossovers, but we all had very different polls, too. So I think it's interesting mm-hmm. to see how different our opinions are and also where the commonalities are. So I, I'd like to do this again, hopefully not go four hours, maybe do 10 instead of 20. But I think it would be really fun to re- revisit this kind of a list again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Bobby. Final thoughts? Oh, just I mean, this was—it's always fun to hear everyone else's taste in movies, especially. I mean, we're all movie buffs. Um, I know Johnny's pretty well, and I know he's going to have a lot of movies. I don't—I don't have, but to hear Tristan and Joe's and find out Joe and I have a lot of uh, movies in common—that uh, was pretty cool. And then Tristan definitely added some movies in there that I want to check out. Uh, so uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, even though it took a long time. Um, but yeah, everyone, watch some of these movies if you've never seen them. I think I'd recommend. Pretty much, pretty much everything on here. So, yeah, yeah. It's um, funny because at the beginning of the first episode, we all talked about like who are we going to have most in common with, and I think <laughs> all of us chose Bobby. Yeah. Um, and Bobby and Bobby maybe chose Joe. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe Bobby. Joe Bobby definitely had the most commonality. Mm-hmm. I had the most commonality with Bobby compared to anyone else on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tristan didn't really have any commonality with with anyone. <laughs> um, I don't. Think I had a there. few. Yeah, and I, I, you I had, said mine would be uh, similar to Tristan. So, Tristan and I had probably the most, like as far as his went, because we both had Get Out, Whiplash, and Parasite on our list, but almost everything else was different. We both had Prisoners, um, so things like that. I think 
Tristan and I had a lot of commonality, and Joe and Bobby had a lot of commonality, but I, I think overall, so did Bobby and I. So it was nice to kind of get the different range. We talked about a, a ton of movies. Um, yeah. uh, you know, like having four people do a top 20 when we discuss at least probably almost 70 movies, that means that we all had very different lists. We all had different tastes, and, uh, and this was a lot of fun. So, Joe, plug what you yeah. need to plug and wrap us up. Uh, yeah, I'm not really doing anything. This is basically all I do, to, so I was just promoting this. Uh, Same. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, it's been four, three hours and 42 minutes and 38 seconds, so I'm not saying anything else.